going to run through a few housekeeping issues. Um, there are no fire alarms expected tonight, so if the alarm does sound, please make your way through the doors, downstairs and into the front of the building. Um, some staff will be there to advise you. Please also make sure your mobiles are off or turned to silent. <coughs> Excuse me. And for the benefit of the members of the public here, can I just advise that there are um, toilets located outside here and water facilities on the ground floor. So the order of business for the evening will be public speaking. I'll be calling each person in turn who's registered to speak and, and also the following person so as to try and avoid any undue delay between speakers. Um, I'd also remind you that there are three minutes allowed. Um, we do have a timer and a, on the screen and a bell will ring when your time is up and I'm afraid I will have to enforce this because of the number of speakers that we do have tonight. <coughs> um, I'm also aware that tonight's subject is highly emotive and I would ask members of the public please to avoid clapping, cheering or shouting out in any way. Um, so we will go on after that to apologies and declarations of interest. Um, I would remind members that there was um, an email from Mr Pugh last week uh, regarding the Code of Conduct interest in relation to the local plan. Um, following that, there will be a presentation from the officers, um, and then I will be inviting the proposer to speak. Um, group leaders um, or their nominated representatives um, will speak after that. Um, and then other members will be limited to five minutes as per the rules of conduct for this meeting. Um, and I would please ask members to keep their comments as concise as possible and avoid repetition of points already made. Um, I'll appreciate also that it is emot an emotive subject for councillors, so I'm sure I can rely on everybody to conduct business in a respectful way. So, may we start with the public speaking? Madam Chairman, could I just make what I hope will be a, a helpful comment to start with? Yes. The, the unfortunate arrangement of the room means that we're largely sat with our backs to the public speakers. I wonder if members could probably consciously turn their chairs so that we take full attention of what they're saying and pay Absolutely. that attention. Absolutely. Thank you. That's how you feel. Absolutely. Okay, so the first two people I will call forward to speak are Moira Tourlemain and Brian Ross. Ladies and gentlemen, members of the Council, I speak on behalf of Great Chesterford Parish Council. We urge you not to vote for this draft plan to go forward. It will be damaging to Great Chesterford, the surrounding villages, Saffron Walden and to the Council. It is unsound and lacking in the evidence base required. Firstly, there is a woeful lack of evidence relating to transport, archaeology, heritage and deliverability. Extraordinary assumptions are made about modal shift and there is very weak evidence on how the road network would be impacted by 5,000 houses. The evidence base is totally confused as to Great Chesterford's existing infrastructure and proposed railway station access. The road network has not been adequately modelled and capacity enhancements not considered or costed. This plan should and will fail on lack of, judgment, lack of junction improvements to the M11, 
the Stansted Airport expansion, duty to cooperate, the genome campus, lack of study of the A505, lack of joined up thinking on Haverhill, and lack of serious discussions with Highways England and Essex County, far more work is required. The Council's own reports identify, quotes, that development on the site would cause harm to the heritage assets and that it is a highly sensitive landscape. The Council's reports are confused and contradictory as to how this site will be protected or mitigated. It is unacceptable for evidence to be ignored and the issue parked for a development plan document. There is even less evidence on viability or that it can be delivered under Garden City principles. It will not stand scrutiny on delivery mechanisms, build-out rates, infrastructure costings and land value capture. Secondly, the Parish Council has sought to engage and policy SP7 has been updated. Critically, however, the following is missing. One, UDC has not provided a sufficiently protected landscape buffer around the village and around the new development. This plan is the place to do this, not a DPD. Two, access to the north is a requirement, not an aspiration. It's entirely possible for this to be inserted into policy. Land ownership or county boundary issues are irrelevant. Three, now is the time to ensure access along Park Road is prevented. The current draft does not go far enough. Four, aspirational modal shifts are not sufficient. This plan policy must do more now to discourage vehicular travel through the existing village to Chesterford Station or Audley End Station. Finally, there is the inspector's letter to the North Essex authorities last week relating to their garden communities. This is fundamental. The strategic plan for adjoining authorities to UDC has been found not to be sufficiently robust. It has been found that their evidence was lacking regarding delivery of works to the A120, sustainable transport measures, proximity to rail stations, housing delivery rates, employment provision, viability and land value capture, or sustainability and infrastructure. I quote from the inspector, Development plan documents are intended to set out the principles of design, development and phasing for each garden community. Could I ask you to be winding up now, please? Yes, but it is this local plan examination which must determine whether or not the garden community proposals are properly justified and developable. We respectfully request that members do not put this regulation 19 plan forward and I'm we sorry, reserve our right to challenge the lawfulness of any decision to do Could I ask you to wind up, to please? So. Thank, Thank you. you. The next speaker is Brian Ross, and could we also have Jackie Cheatham? Thank you, Chairman. Um, by way of an introduction, I am Deputy Chairman of Stop Stansted Expansion, and it's in that capacity that I'm speaking to you tonight. Last week, I spoke to Council, uh, to Cabinet members, so I apologise for the repetition in some areas. But SSE has more than 7,000 members and registered supporters, and that includes almost every parish council in Uttlesford and many from further afield. When I spoke last week, the context was policy SP11. I'm pleased to note that the policy has since been amended. I would quite like to have seen further amendments to strengthen the safeguards against unfettered airport expansion but I have been around long enough to realise that you don't always get 100% of what you want. And I know that you need to move on tonight, and so I won't be pressing any further on p further changes to policy SP11 this evening. 
Um, I'd like, if I may, just to speak about a related matter, because whilst here last week, I listened carefully to Ken MacDonald, who raised, I thought, three very important points about the local plan in relation to airport employment. And he was correct on all three points. He didn't get an answer. The first point was that the plan relies upon airport employment numbers based on MAG's sustainable development plan. That said 18,800 jobs for 35 million passengers. MAG itself has revised that figure downwards to 13,200, a reduction of 5,600 jobs. That hasn't been recognised. The second important point is that only 2,000 of Stansted Airport employees are at for residents. Fifteen years ago, the figure was 2,500. It goes down and down. It was 24%, and now it's only 18%. And the third point is the reason why the airport can't recruit people from Uttlesford is because airport wages are so much lower than the average earnings in Uttlesford. Now, the significance of those three points, when you put them together, is that there is no correlation between airport jobs and housing needs, especially when you look at the Uttlesford housing market. And I think it just needs to be recognised before you go forward to examination that there is not that correlation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, the next speaker is Jackie Cheatham. Could we also have Philip Milne, please? My name is Jackie Cheatham and I'm speaking on behalf of Takeley Parish Council. I also spoke last week and I'm pleased to note that the Cabinet changed the first part of those uh, um, requests that I made on SP11. But I want to speak tonight on airport-related car parking. Takeley Parish Council is very concerned that the opportunity to have off-site airport-related car parking is still in the proposed Plan Regulation 19 document. Off-site airport car parking is already detrimental to the area surrounding the airport, with a road system that cannot cope with the local traffic and the new houses that have already been built, let alone any more the district is planning. There is plenty of land on the airport to have further car parking if required. As a parish council, we have already highlighted this problem to Uttlesford District Council, both to the Enforcement Department and to the Planning Department, in response to the latest planning application from MAG. We don't want Stansted to become like Gatwick, which is surrounded by off-site car parking. We want Stansted to remain an airport in the countryside with positive health from both MAG and the District Council. We do understand that the District Council wishes to do away with the we don't understand why the District Council wishes to do away with the adopted plan policy T3, car parking associated with Stansted Airport development. This policy reads proposals for car parking associated with any use at Stansted Airport will be refused beyond the airport boundaries as defined in the Stansted map. At the moment, every time a car parks at Stansted, a levy is put on which is paid towards improving local connectivity to the airport. 
like helping bus routes, etc. This would not happen if you build car parks off the airport. I have been told that the, that the local plan has to be positive in all areas. So I would suggest Uttlesford District Council could be positive in saying they only want airport-related car parking to be on the airport site. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so next speaker is Philip Milne. And could we also have Dan Starr? Councillor Philip Milne, on behalf of Great Dunmo Town Council, firstly we would like to thank the Council for removing the church end site from, their pla from your plan. You have saved our residents from years of uncertainty over the future of this historic part of our town. We want you to do the same for our residents around New Street and those in Little Canfield. We ask members of the planning committee to support us in removing Little Canfield 1 from the plan. This is the site where you refused permission just two weeks ago on the 6th of June. We need to find the right site for the council depot, not just any site, so that we are not moving the misery from one set of residents to another. But our main message tonight is about the uncertainty on the future garden settlements. Just before you vote on Building 3 of the, in our district, what will happen to the 970 homes you have planned to, uh, to allocate in Stebbing in the west of Braintree? West of Braintree site can't go ahead. We think that it is time to look again at your Plan B. Only provide the sites you, you need for this plan period. Find two or three large sites, about a thousand houses and some smaller ones around the district. When you bring the community infrastructure levy, roof tax will pay for the infrastructure. If you put too many houses in one location, even if it's on a main road, traffic will be the biggest problem. Delays will be a serious issue anywhere but anywhere but none more so than traffic from Eastern Park right next to the airport. Delays here aren't just inconvenient. Missed flights and holiday makers running along the road with suitcases will do damage to the airport business and is a risk we, you cannot take. Most importantly, take account of the impact your plan will have on our residents. Our strategy is to over, your strategy is to over-provide houses through garden settlements and it isn't something our residents want, to, want you to do. They don't want or need a, a town the size of Canberra next to a boundary, sorry, Camborne next to the size of, of our boundary. Do you want to live near a building site for the next 20 to 30 years and endless roadworks? Endless uncertainty will have a big effect on them and may cause them to move away from, the, uh, uh, from our once beautiful area. Councillors, I urge you to do what is right for the, our residents. Only vote for this plan if, you're, if you honestly believe that it is right to have three new garden towns in Uttlesford. Otherwise, vote for plan B. Homes if for this plan, homes for this plan period, not beyond. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the next speaker is Dan Starr. Could we also have Alexander Armstrong, please? We all want a good plan, 
In fact, a whole residence movement started because this council had been failing to properly plan for our future. Last week's rejection of the Braintree, Colchester and Tendering local plan sends a clear and timely signal to UDC about that. The three councils' local plan is similar to ours. The majority of remaining new houses will be built simultaneously in three new towns. Planning and legal opinion tells us there were a number of reasons for the inspector's refusal that are directly relevant to us. Firstly, he found there was no evidence to show that their new towns would be financially viable. In other words, local council taxpayers could be left to fund a Carillion-style bailout. This has nothing to do with the financial liquidity of big business developers. It's all about the economics of building the towns themselves, once a master developer and all the others have taken their cut. According to the inspector, a community-led development corporation could improve the finances. But to date, UDC has produced no financial plan, let alone one that shows any kind of viability. Secondly, the inspector didn't buy into their transport infrastructure delivery plan. He said doubling the A120 and adding 40 miles of rapid transit wasn't enough, wasn't properly funded, wasn't being built before the houses, and their claims about people shifting away from cars weren't credible. UDC's transport improvements are modest by comparison, little more than some white lines and tarmac around Junction 8, but they have exactly the same flaws in scale, funding, timing and evidence. Thirdly were concerns about objectivity when picking sites. Here bias over site selection was one of the many reasons for UDC's last plan, that UDC's last plan was found unsound, and it's still happening. For example, UDC's own lawyer exposed their skullduggery in trying a backhand tactic to, to favour Kia, even though their site has been rejected twice by inspectors, isn't in Saffron Walden's emerging neighbourhood plan, and is opposed by the town council and residents. Stunningly, it is still in the plan, even though there is a better site next door that will deliver a similar number of homes, but also critically for locals, a two-form entry primary school. That is the definition of unobjective selection. Finally, and highly significantly, because of last week's rejection, UDC's own part of the west of Braintree Newtown has vanished, and the inspector said it might be too ambitious and have gone forever. That means that nearly a thousand houses in the plan in front of you can't be delivered. You being asked to vote for a final consultation version of this local plan to go to the inspector that has a known hole in its new housing supply of 15%. So all of this makes it clear that UDC's plan will be found unsound at a minimum because of missing finances, infrastructure, objectivity and delivery of new homes. Look, we all want a plan that works. If this one is approved now, it will deliver an inspection failure next year that would almost guarantee government intervention. It needs to be fixed right now. Our future and your reputation are at stake if you allow this known defective plan to go forward. Thank you. Um, next to speak is Alexander Armstrong. And could I also ask Richard Gilliard to come forward? Good evening all. Uh, here we are again. Uh, I love it when the plan comes together. I actually support a local plan. I was told our local plan needed to be agreed. It was an important document. Money would be wasted if it was not approved. Big government would get involved. It would be a developer free-for-all. This new plan would be transparent, evidence-led and my favourite phrase, trust us. In the 2015 district elections, Dunmo trusted the then MP and the current leader of the council that said 
Dunmo has had its fair share of houses. Well, we have nearly 2,800 homes with planning permission waiting to be built and more waiting for approval after our neighbourhood plan has been ignored. Dunmo trusted UDC and produced a neighbourhood plan which is now being completely ignored with developments allowed outside our red lines and an employment site thrown out by the planning committee last week actually put back in. As one councillor said, I feel sorry for Dunmo. Woodlands Park have reduced the numbers being built. They've actually lowered their prices as there are lots of empty new homes. Now, 10,000 houses at Eastern Park is put forward with no new roads, buses, doctors, trains, etc. coming first, infrastructure not coming first. We do not have a housing crisis. The only crisis is the cost of houses and that will not be met by this plan. Blackadder would say, I have a cunning plan. A plan as cunning as a fox that's just been appointed Professor of Cunning at Oxford University. But Colonel Melchick quoted, if nothing else works, then a total pig-headed unwillingness to look facts in the face will see us through. As I said, I support a local plan, just not this one. Thank you. Um, next to speak is Richard Gilead. Could we also have Patrick Hawksmith? Thank you. Madam Chairman, members of the Council, I live in Saffron Walden and I would like to speak in support of a sustainable transport strategy which is fundamental to a good local plan. I like to deal with facts, but I'm sorry to say that facts are in short supply at the moment. For example, I would like to know how many extra vehicles will be added to our road system by this plan. If you take the number of new houses times the local average for car ownership, you can estimate that number is about 25,000. That's without adding in extra commuter and commercial traffic. It's an important indication of the scale of our transport challenge, but I couldn't find that number in the plan. How about getting the answers to some questions? In 2014, the previous local plan predicted the evening queue of traffic outside these offices would stretch from the bottom of the high street all the way up Newport Road. How long will that queue be after this new plan is done? I can't tell you. Or how about the morning queue along Church Street across the top of the Common and up Ashton Road? No, sorry. What about the traffic impact of the new garden village at Chesterford? And what about the growing queues in Newport and Stansted Mount Fitchett, or the huge effect of the proposed expansion of Stansted Airport on our whole road network? I haven't a clue. The plan doesn't answer any of these questions. Of course, a good sustainable transport strategy would aim to get people out of their cars, the plan does mention sustainable transport links. So where would they go? How often would they run? Would they be cheap or even free? Why would people use them instead of their cars? I don't know. We also want people to walk or cycle, and there are lots of words in the plan about that too. But when Saffron Walden Town Council came up with 70 ideas to improve things, all the cycling ones were turned down by Essex. So they are just words, not plans. And how will any transport improvements be planned and funded? We shouldn't be leaving strategic decisions to individual developments. That's abdicating responsibility. The whole point is to have a joined-up transport network and to have it in place before the extra traffic arrives. 
Why is the transport strategy so important? One reason is because the planning inspector actually mentioned traffic as one of the reasons for rejecting the previous plan, and choosing sites for new development should only be confirmed when the transport implications are fully understood and addressed. It's vital that we get this right first time. You can't add a strategy later. We need firm, costed plans to demonstrate the feasibility of the chosen sites and the upgraded transport network we need to link them. I hope you feel confident you can answer your constituents' questions about how those extra 25,000 vehicles will affect them, their journeys to work, getting their children to school, visiting the doctor or just shopping. I hope you are also confident this plan won't just deliver more congestion and misery, because if you don't feel confident, then you shouldn't be voting for this plan. Thank you. Um, the next speaker is Patrick Hawksmith, and could I ask Judy Emanuel to come up, please? Good evening. As a resident of Uttlesford, I welcome progress towards a new local plan, as long as it is soundly based on fact well thought out and visionary because the local plan is meant to be in Uttlesford District Council's own words a vision document and we need a clear bold and realistic vision for the future development of Uttlesford. We hear a lot about numbers for uh, projected housing needs and how they seem to keep changing over time. Of course, those numbers are important, but it seems to me that they will always tend to fluctuate over time. And a, a robust, sustainable and visionary local plan will be able to accommodate the whole range of projected housing forecasts. The numbers should be guided by the plan and not the plan by the numbers. So instead tonight I would be interested to hear from our councillors what is their vision for the future development of Uttlesford and how do they propose to deliver it through this local plan. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the next speaker is Judy Emanuel. Could I ask Tony Clark to come up? Thank you. Good evening. I'm a resident and parish councillor in Newport and I'm on the steering committee for our neighbourhood plan. Development in Uttlesford in recent years has been reactive, ad hoc and driven by developers, not by a strategic plan. Infrastructure development has not kept pace with house building and future growth will intensify existing problems with transport, healthcare, education and health quality. Air quality, sorry. Paragraph 177 of the MPPF specifies that local planning authorities must understand district-wide development costs at the same time that local plans are drawn up to ensure that planned infrastructure is deliverable in a timely fashion. An infrastructure delivery plan, or IDP, should therefore demonstrate requirements, ownership, costings and timescales for infrastructure to be provided. Without this information, the local plan objectives cannot be properly assessed to prove that they are realistic and achievable. I read the Uttlesford IDP. The focus is almost entirely on the requirements for the garden communities 
and most of the items in it read as policy objectives or statements of intent rather than as identifiable projects. It also contains a rather startling statement, and I quote, The infrastructure delivery plan does not seek to make up for historic deficits in infrastructure. Isn't that exactly what an IDP is for? These new garden communities will not exist in a vacuum. Where existing communities are detailed, all permissions from 2011 to 2017 are excluded from the plan as requiring infrastructure investment. In Newport, only 13 houses are included, of 444 that have been permitted since 2011. The village is set to grow by close to 50%, but fewer than half of the permissions will generate any Section 106 funds. Consequently, the village is faced with its largest ever expansion, with limited finances and no plan to mitigate the cumulative impact of these developments. Of course, this isn't just happening to Newport. Across the district, this means that the infrastructure for 6,000 houses already permitted is excluded. There is no assessment of cumulative impact and no plan to remedy existing shortfalls. You'll be aware that the planning inspector's report on the Braintree local plan was released last week. NIT finds that there is still significant work to be completed on feasibility, costs and timescales of infrastructure projects to prove the viability of the three garden communities in their plan, one of which is shared with ours. It is worth noting that the same planning consultants wrote Braintree and our IDPs. I believe that the documentation contained in the Uttlesford IDP is not detailed enough to meet the requirements of the MPPF and will not withstand scrutiny from the inspector. This is our opportunity to put in place a coherent strategy that will address the needs of existing and future residents. Lots of work has been completed, but unless more is done, this plan will fail the inspection. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the next speaker is Tony Clark, and could I ask Arthur Coote to come forward? Thank you. Um, good evening, everybody. I'm Tony Clark, resident of Dunmo and Uttlesford. <clears throat> and I would like to make the point that our broken planning system has placed UDC and its councillors in an impossible position. Because since the 1980s, successive governments have turned away from the tried, tested and successful system of arm's length development companies for large-scale housing schemes and new towns. And it's kicked the problem onwards for the next government to solve. <coughs> Excuse me. This government is trying to modernise the law to relaunch DCs, but that may have come too late for this plan and for your part in it. Its interim solution, the one that you're stuck with, is to rely on the private sector. Landowners and developers now control the procurement process through the call for sites system. We can no longer rely on high quality new settlements um, built by DCs in the best locations. We get them wherever landowner developers are willing to sell land on their terms. Accordingly, local authorities can do little to configure developments. They can only react to what is offered to them. Your dilemma, UDC's dilemma, can best be seen by reference to their policies for building new settlements where UDC says a suitable body will need to be established to manage the assets of the Garden City. Clearly, UDC has committed to building three new settlements, but has not established a suitable body to manage the assets. Or has it? 
Is there something we're not being told lurking behind this defective plan? Does UDC know exactly what it wants to do but is prevented from telling us by the constraints of predetermination? If so, surely that's preposterous and is clear written evidence of our broken planning system. UDC goes on to write, the most suitable approach should emerge through the design and delivery process. Nonsense. Of course it won't emerge. UDC knows the management approach must be decided long before design and delivery commences. So why pretend otherwise? If this is it, if this is the full extent of UDC's local planning to date, developers already know your intentions, so where's the predetermination issue? Um, if you proceed with this, we will not get three new self-sufficient garden settlements built to the highest current standards for the benefits of residents. We will get three massive new housing ghettos built to the lowest permissible standards for the benefits of landowners and developers. So tonight, <clears throat> we're in your hands. If you vote for this flawed plan, you may give away assets worth billions that rightly belong in public ownership. You would condemn future generations to unhappy lives where commuting is their only option, or you can reject misconceived policies in this flawed plan and send a powerful message to central governments that it's been found out. Can I ask you to wind up now? Thank you. Right. The next speaker is Arthur Coote, and could I also call Juliet Fairhurst? Good evening. Arthur Coote, resident of Saffron Walden for the last 70 years. It's a pleasure to speak to you all. And I make most of my comments to the councillors who are thinking to vote for this plan. I would ask you to honestly search your hearts after the things I tell you. I believe that the plan doesn't in any way address the problems we have in Saffron Walden for children, young people and most of all the elderly. We need for you as councillors to go back to why you stood in the first place. It was to serve your communities. And I'm asking, begging you to serve those people tonight. There is nothing in this plan that sets out how we will cater for children in nurseries. If you ask families today how much they pay out for nursery provision for children to go to nurseries, they're paying more than I did when I first bought my first house. They're paying £1,750. If you address that, which you can, by getting developers, for instance, to give us CICs. Anybody who doesn't know what a CIC is, I'm not talking down to you, I'm explaining to you. It's a community interest company. We can set those up. You've not addressed it. You haven't looked at it. Perhaps you haven't been told about it. I don't know. But you need to think very carefully. It's the same principle with the elderly. We're told, and none of you I'm sure are not aware, that we provide nothing for our elderly. Absolutely nothing. We can do the same with CICs. If you go to Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, Worcester, they are providing for their old people through their neighbourhood plans. Listen to this. Free elderly care. And you can do that 
You can be visionary. You can actually take this on. I know that you're all uh, very loyal people to the parties that you have pledged to. But for once, go back to where you started and think for yourselves. Think of your communities. Think of what you can achieve. I'm not asking you not to vote Conservative or Liberal or RFC. I'm just asking you to vote for your communities tonight. Reject this, go back, address the issues and come back again. Young people are begging you on, and I'm doing it for them, particularly young families and the elderly. You have a great opportunity with the money from this new plan that you're putting forward to do things. It's old, as my grandson would say, it's not sexy, and to be truthful, nor are you if you vote for it. You, you really do need to think very hard and long, and I beg you to do that, please. Thank you. Uh, the next speaker is Juliet Fairhurst, and could I also call forward Graham Mott? Thank you. Madam Chairwoman, esteemed councillors and residents of Uttersford, good evening. I am Juliet Fairhurst, and although I am a member of the All Youth District Council and the Youth Exit Assembly, and an ex-member of UK Youth Parliament, I speak today simply as a resident and as a person just beginning my adult life. I cannot and do not pretend to any significant knowledge of this plan, but I think we all realise its importance in shaping our district and our lives for the next 15 years. For it is this plan that will determine my ability and the ability of 10,000 others to build a life worth living in this area. It has the power to greatly enhance or lessen the quality of the lives of people my age group. 10,000 people that have been to some extent ignored in the planning that will totally change their lives. This plan that lies at the heart of our district's future is a blueprint, if you will, of our potential and the hurdles we will encounter. But it represents an opportunity to cooperate in making this district the best it can possibly be for all its constituents. Yet, Madam Chairwoman, I have not had access to, nor indeed have I been asked about this plan. You might ask me why I did not read test draft online, but I was busy writing my finals during consultation and lack the necessary skills to understand the difference between an SHMA and an OAN. Even so, I do know what I'd like our district to look like. I know how difficult it is to get onto the housing ladder already, and I know well the cost and the need to commute outside of our district to go to school and to university and to work. Train tickets and cost of living aside, do you know that the average house price in Uttlesford is over £355,000? That's ten times Uttlesford's average annual salary. This is a concern that will affect me and my peers long after most of you will have retired. It will affect us directly and in the long term. Yet at this point in time, we're still able to combat this and benefit our future citizens. Do you not think that we could seek some engagement with the youth population before considering such a large project? Our new youth council presents the perfect chance. The external pressure to complete a plan is certainly considerable, and I agree that the sooner we settle on a plan, the better. But can we not try to make the most of this golden opportunity as long as we have it? Madam Chairwoman, I am about to embark on a career in medicine. I know little of this dark art of planning, and I am sure that whatever the outcome of this vote, I trust we'll be well on our way to Greater Uttlesford. But I do know what I'd like to see this local plan achieve as we move forward. Where will you be, Chair, Chairwoman and Councillors, in 15 years? I can tell you where I would like to be. I'll hopefully be practicing medicine here in Uttlesford. I'll possibly be looking to buy my first house. I may even be raising a family and looking for good schools. I want to be proud and happy to live in our district. So what kind of Uttlesford are you planning for me? Should I and my peers not be considered? Should we not be asked what others that we would like to see in 15 years? 
Can we, the generation most affected, not help contribute to this plan for our future? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the next speaker is Graham Mott, and could I ask Bill Bampton to come forward? Thank you. <coughs> Madam Chairman, I speak on behalf of Elston Parish Council, and I have a surprise. The Parish Council wishes to give general support to the draft local plan as the best that might be achieved in the circumstances. There is now no realistic possibility of major changes, but there is one way in which the chances of the plan being approved by the inspector can be increased. The plan proposes 1440 new homes in Roche Lane, Elsenham. The Parish Council pointed out at the Section 18 consultation that the site is much less attractive than it appears from the plan, but the details have not been amended. Proposed development in the plan amounts to 650 new dwellings, a vast increase for a village which numbered under 1,000 households in 2011. Unlike the new settlements now proposed, this expansion has not been planned and there has been little by way of improvements to infrastructure. The doctors at Elstom Surgery, for instance, are on record as saying that they are struggling now to cope with the increase in demand, with no space for expansion and with many houses not yet occupied out of those already approved. Uh, Madam Chairman, Elstom is very curiously situated. It has a railway station, which makes it a target for developers, and yet the road links are peculiarly, indeed, unbelievably inadequate. The main route out of the village, via Stansted Mount Fitchett, is so difficult that some residents frequently use wholly unsuitable, narrow, winding country lanes as an alternative. The inspector into the previous local plan drove around the area in December 2014 before most of the houses allocated to Elstom had been built. He concluded that road access was then insufficient and he therefore rejected the plan. The inspector, considering an application by Fairfield, came to the same opinion and his view was confirmed by the Secretary of State in 2016. Madam Chairman, to conclude... These 40 houses are not needed in the plan. The target of 14,000 includes a buffer, and the total number in the plan of 14,712 means that there is a further buffer. The five-year housing supply stands at just short of six years. It is not a question of just another 40 for Elsnam. There can be no reasonable doubt if the inspector into this plan takes the same approach as the inspector in 2014, the conclusion must be that Elsenham lacks capacity for any further allocation. Elsenham Parish Council ask, therefore, that this council strengthen the local plan by agreeing that the 40 houses scheduled in Boshley in Elsenham should be wholly excluded. Uh, Madam Chairman, thank you and the uh, members of the council uh, for your attention. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker is uh, Bill Bampton, and could I ask Andy Dodsley, please, to come forward. Good evening. Um, I'm Bill Bampton from Pelham Structures. I'm a local builder and developer. But for the purpose of this evening's meeting, 
I volunteer to wear the hat of greedy developer. Although I believe I have a strong social conscience and a love of our wonderful rural district. Now, going back to greedy developer, I believe if you approve this plan tonight and in the extremely unlikely events that it passes muster with the planning inspector, I believe that you will make me and other developers in my position incredibly rich. And the reason for that is that you are totally overestimating the delivery supply or the speed of delivery. You're reckoning that your new settlements will produce houses ready for occupation within three years of the plan being approved. Now, history tells us that nearly every other development has taken in the region of 10 years. Now, even if you did it quicker, in my estimate, you're going to have a five-year housing shortfall for somewhere between 10 years and the entire plan period, which gives you no control whatsoever where development goes, which is wonderful for greedy developers like me, and I hope you don't approve it. Also, the reason that you won't deliver the houses is your plan is almost totally dependent on delivery by major house builders. And major house builders are renowned for restricting supply the minute that prices drop. And it's, it's already happening now. With the numbers that are being built at the moment, they're not selling well on the mass market estates and they are slowing down build. You're giving control to those developers. But also, I hope you realise that if this plan is approved, you're not approving 14,000 houses in the plan period from 2011 you're approving nearly 28,000 because if you're committing to new settlements, they have to be finished. And that follows they'll be finished in the following plan period. And that represents, with no additional windfall, a 90% increase in the population of Uttlesford. Are you really aware of that and are you wanting to support it? If you then add the windfall sites that will happen because of greedy developers like me in the next... Um, 20-odd years, 28 years, you will double the population of Uttlesford. There is no justification of that. Also, many people have mentioned Braintree, Tendring and Colchester being rejected. Now, there's, if you submit the plan in its current form, relying on working with Braintree in full knowledge that it's being rejected, the plan will be rejected on day one of the inspection. Could you're I also, ask you to wind up now, please? Yeah, sorry. You're also not under the pressure you're being led to believe to do with having to make the plan. The Office of National Statistics have recently reported that they are anticipating that this area's population isn't going to grow as fast as expected, and it comes back down to the numbers in your current plan, not the inflated ones you've been told that you need to try and avoid. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, the next speaker is Andy Dodsley, and could I ask Ken MacDonald to come forward? Thank you. Good evening. Andy Dodsley from Little Eastern Parish Council. The ultimate test for this local plan is whether a planning inspector will view it as being legal and sound. We feel that this plan is not sound, 
and will be seen as unviable by the inspector for a variety of reasons. Is it sound? Is it a sound plan to build a new town right next to a major airport with aggressive expansion plans? Yes, we have houses next to airports already in this country, but with the high sight of the noise misery caused to local residents and the widely accepted detrimental impacts on public health, why on earth would you actually plan to repeat the mistakes of the past? Is it sound to plan 10,000 houses at Eastern Park, another 10,000 a few miles down the A120 at Braintree, and then a further 24,000 on the A120 at West Tay, with no feasible proposals for infrastructure improvements. Result, gridlock along the A120 and M11 corridors. Is it sound to pin your hopes of avoiding this future chaos on our roads, on assumptions in the local plan that there will somehow be some magical road to Damascus modal shift from the car to alternative forms of transport. People will continue to use their cars from the Eastern Park dormitory town. It is negligent to believe otherwise. Is it a sound plan to locate a new town at Eastern Park in a place with no existing rail links? Vague promises of future rail infrastructure links that are unlikely to get built because they never do and will result in even more cars on the roads. Is it a sound plan to have a single point of access from Eastern Park to the A120 shared with a working gravel pit that will be in place for at least the next decade? Is it sound to think that the large new towns planned across the district will solve our local needs for affordable housing for local residents? The housing targets focus on housing supply, not local needs. The local needs are for affordable housing where people live not for four and five bedroom executive homes somewhere else, which is what the developers want to build. Recent research has shown that 50% of affordable housing is never actually delivered. Is it sound thinking to propose a local plan that UDC's own heritage appraisal states will cause significant harm, significant harm, to the large number of heritage assets and their settings that are within the Eastern Park site and to the Little Eastern Conservation Area. The rural nature of our district will be gone forever. We hope that the planning inspector will ask these and other questions on whether the plan is sound. We feel that he may well find that it is not. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the next speaker is Ken MacDonald. And could I ask Jenny Smith to come forward? Thank you. Good evening. My name is Ken MacDonald. I've lived in Uttlesford for 37 years. This local plan is based on population and job forecasts that are highly questionable. Perhaps even worse is the fact that the process which has brought the local plan before you this evening has been def deficient. The plan is largely about numbers. I'm one of three chartered accountants who have been challenging the numbers since October 2015. We've questioned various elements of the assumptions behind the numbers and in particular have expressed dis dissatisfaction that there is no clear audit trail to show how Uttlesford's figures have been calculated. Last week Mike Young drew your attention to yet another apparent overstatement of housing need, a potential overstatement of about 2,000 homes. A very recent increase may be yet another example of muddled thinking 
Paragraph 30 of Philip Barlow's note refers to 504 residents who need to be in communal residential establishments, but surely these people are already in the population projections. This is claimed to be a suggestion from ORS, the consultants who produced the 2015 Schmar. Back in 2015, I challenged their methodology. Then they seemed to push up the housing target by adding in Stansted Airport employees a second time. It is time for a clear statement of assumptions and calculations and an independent audit of numbers. Every opportunity has been taken to push the figures upwards and there has been no willingness to even consider alternatives. The proposal seeks an increase in house building that is far greater than, that, than the latest adopted local plan. The 2005 local plan was based on about 400 new dwellings per annum. You are today considering 667 and a population growth far higher than almost anywhere else. Today's plan fails to recognise that recent history was distorted by the exceptional so-called airport-related house building early this century. There has been a blanket refusal to consider options available under the National Planning Policy Framework to exclude such distorting factors. Recently, the imbalance between homes and jobs was fudged by adopting an overblown, outdated projection of jobs by Stansted Airport, which the airport has since scaled back by several thousand. Also, the fact that less than one job in five at the airport is filled by Uttersford residents seems to have been overlooked. Policy SP4 states that provision will be made for a minimum net increase of 16,000 jobs in the period 2011 to 2033. Do you believe it? Do you understand the evidence? Houses and jobs are the two most fundamental elements for a local plan, yet in Uttersford both forecasts are highly suspect and do not hold up well under scrutiny. I ask that you refer this draft back to the PPWG with a demand that they provide you and the electorate with evidence and clear audit trails showing the alternative options for the calculation of the total numbers of homes and jobs so that you may judge whether the proposed foundations of this plan are sound. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the next speaker is Jenny Smith. Uh, could I call for James DeVries? Hello, I speak as a resident of Saffron Warden. We need a local plan to halt the developer free-for-all that has been happening here for years, and we desperately need homes that our local people can afford. I have two concerns with the plan as it stands, the choice of sites and the lack of information about how infrastructure would be addressed. The local plan has named potential sites, but some of these have already been rejected in the past as unsuitable. The proposed care site in Saffron Walden, for example. Planning has been refused before, and the Council was unable to prove that the site had been selected objectively, which contributed to its rejection. Local people like me are struggling to understand the logic behind developments that are granted planning permission in this area. We read the papers and see accusations of lack of integrity and dishonesty behind decisions being made. The actual number of houses we need is being questioned. And meanwhile, we watch as developers get away with reneging on their Section 106 commitments. These commitments are promises they made that should serve to enhance our community. As a member of this community, I make commitments too. For example, I say I will pay my council tax. If I don't, I get a court summons. And what happens to developers who don't meet their commitments? Absolutely nothing, as far as I know. What reassurance can the Council offer us that this current state of affairs will be stopped? We hear about development corporations that could give us more control, but then we were told we'll have to wait and see if this idea bears any fruit. Addressing delivery detail, in the quest to build houses, the infrastructure needed is always an afterthought. 
Our schools and doctors are oversubscribed, our roads are often gridlocked, cyclists are being seriously injured due to the lack of timely maintenance in fixing potholes, cars are being damaged by those same potholes, pollution is already higher than legal levels. We residents are the ones who are literally and metaphorically paying the price. If things are already this bad, how much worse will things be for us if infrastructure continues to be the poor relation? Apparently, development planning documents will fill in the gaps. Will we have any say in these documents? Will we have any power to call a halt or challenge them? Or will we just have to watch as a plan we perhaps don't support or that doesn't support our community just gets waved through? This may be a simplistic statement, but why can't we do infrastructure analysis and work first and then choose our sites bearing in mind those findings? I know we need more housing. I want a house that my son could afford to live in. I also know that no plan will be perfect. I don't want perfection. I want a deliverable plan that provides quality and genuinely affordable housing, along with the infrastructure that our community deserves. Braintree Council's local plan has just been rejected by the inspector. The west of Braintree settlement in our local plan is a part of that Braintree plan. So what does that mean for our plan? I can see the amount of work that has been done to get the plan to this point, but how can we expect our councillors to make a fully informed decision with details missing or the basics still being questioned? To not take pause now and do further work on the details seems like foolhardiness on wheels. Just watch out for those potholes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the next speaker is James DeVries and can I ask Carmel Stannard? Good evening everybody, my name is James DeVries, I've been a resident in Saffron Walden since 1985, having lived in the town for over 30 years where both my parents lived and worked for the majority of my life as well. I've been an employee and I've worked in the town since I was 13 years old delivering papers before gaining a job at the Leisure Centre at 16. I'm now a business owner and an employer in the town. I am all for a local plan and was excited to hear that something like this could actually be implemented. As an employer we value our employees very much and as an information technology company we have a lot of apprentices and young employees and many members of my staff are still living with their parents, renting small flats and as well as attempting to buy their own first properties in the town. I also have my own children in their late teens looking to progress with their lives and find their own residence and seek local employment. I have some serious concerns about the local plan over two parts. I also share some other concerns that have already mentioned this evening. Um, my first concern is the availability of affordable homes. By this I mean homes, a variety of which to be cost effective for all. And for me a home is a house in a community area, an area of shops, open spaces and local resources. We want to provide homes for our local residents as well as being able to attract residents who are looking for the same. We do not want to build large developments with no community features that essentially turn into mini commuter towns. There are industry skills needed in this town that we cannot always source locally and we need to keep the area appealing to people of all ages through any part of their careers. We also need to retain those skills that are homegrown within the area and not push them out of the area if they cannot afford to live here. I started my company here in town with my business partner in 2012 working out of his kitchen. We're not even chefs and luckily we have our own offices now. I have concerns about office space availability. Having looked through the available local plan documents, I found the commercial workspace study, the final report which was issued in June 2015. It states there is very limited workplace stock currently being marketed with a particular shortage of industrial space available. I found there are only two recommended sites detailed in the plan, 
in the report, sorry. And as far as I understand it, neither site has provided any commercial workspace, and that's the Ridgens Hamleys development in Saffron Walden and a proposed mantle centre in Dunmo. It's not just industrial we need in the town. There is also a shortage of available office space, especially to small business and start-ups. We have a wonderful high street and market row, but not all businesses require a shop front. Within the same report, it stated start-up space is recommended for Saffron Walden and Stansted Mount Fitchett, it is recommended that UDC enter into partnership with Invest Essex to deliver, to deliver their enterprise centres in these two locations. Invest Essex website mentions, mentions nothing about start-up space at Stansted Airport. There is no mention of any action in Saffron Walden whatsoever, whatsoever. And the Harlow Enterprise Zone, which looks fantastic, does not mention any start-up support. Uh, to round up, I just think this has been overlooked within the plan and the information is vastly out of date. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the next speaker is Carmel Stannard, and could I call forward Vincent Thompson, please? Good evening. I live in Ashton. I am in favour of a good local plan that works for all citizens of Uttlesford and that holds at its core the principles of improving quality of life and, above all, protecting public health. However, it is with deep concern that I have observed this has not been addressed sufficiently in the current local plan, especially with regard to the increased air pollution that thousands of new houses with vehicle users represents. This has been an historic problem. For instance, poor air quality, primarily due to increased vehicle use and traffic issues, has meant that air pollution levels in Saffron Walden have been in breach of the Environment Act every year since 2011. Yet, the Council have continued to allow planning applications which have and will continue to make this serious problem worse. Air pollution is a real threat to public health and is recognised as a contributing factor in the onset of heart disease and cancer. Air pollution particularly affects the most vulnerable in society, our children and older people, and those with heart and lung conditions. A report to the Government Environmental Audit Committees in March 2018 said air pollution is a national health emergency, resulting in an estimated 40,000 deaths each year. However, there is no projection or allowances made in the local plan for large air pollution increases due to higher vehicle use as a result of the hundreds of new houses being built, often in areas that were already breaching legal levels of air pollution. Also, most of the developments are not within walking distance to shops and amenities, with new residents who do not work locally and will have to drive to their place of work or to train stations. This will push air pollution to even more dangerous levels for public health. This deeply worrying situation is echoed across Uttlesford as similarly dangerous levels of air pollution that will breach legal limits have been measured in other surrounding villages including Newport and Stansted. Villages that are also being targeted for further housing developments with hundreds more vehicle users. Sadly, this is partly due to the fact that house building has been developer-led. The amount of affordable houses needed by local people who are key workers in the area or who have families in the area is a very small percentage of the hundreds of houses being built. The rest of the houses built for profit are too expensive for the majority of people who need them and instead are being brought by individuals who mostly work in highly paid work outside the area, often in London or Cambridge, which they therefore need to commute to. 
further exacerbating air pollution problems. A good local plan should address and tackle the serious issue of air pollution and the local need for affordable housing without recourse to developer-led solutions and their excessively large developments. If it does not, the end result will horrifyingly be our community's public health, our children's health, being sacrificed for profit. I'm sure no one in this room wants that. Thank you. Um, the next speaker is Vincent Thompson, and can Katie Rodwell come forward? I, I speak on behalf of Stop Eastern Park. Now, we understand the need for houses. We understand that UDC is required to build houses. The question is where? You are encouraged to support this plan or risk losing control to central government. But the plan is fundamentally flawed. The plan takes no account of confirmation by the MOD in 2016 that Carver Barracks will become available in 2031, two years inside the current plan period. To take no account of the probable availability of a major brownfield site demonstrates a wanton disregard for the essential rural character of the district. It undermines the credibility of the plan and it renders it unsustainable. This failure compounds the irrational selection of Eastern Park. The reasons used to promote its selections are the reasons it should be rejected. Single ownership gives Lansac undue leverage. The curious choice of DPDs over the proven route of development corporation is explained by Lansac's rejection of the latter. Proximity to the airport. Why is UDC planning to build a new town so close to a major airport when the health hazards are well known? Access to the A120 and Junction 8 will choke access to Dunmo, compound the overload of the A120 and clog Junction 8. Existing access, sharing this with the hundreds of lorries that access the quarry daily and will continue to do so for the next 10 to 15 years, is absurd. There are alternatives to Eastern Park, as is evident from Chapter 3 of the plan. So why has Eastern Park been selected? Is it well-conceived policy or is it a vanity project, a civic folly, cooked up behind closed doors with undue influence from major corporates. MAG projections are pie in the sky, as to the resultant employment figures. Stansted cannot significantly develop when it is operating at capacity at peak times. Who will buy executive houses so close to a runway? Is the idea to put affordable housing under the flight paths and let the unfortunate suffer the consequences? What builder will build on a disused quarry? The Eastern Park proposal is a white elephant built on a house of cards. This ancient historic park is of an incomparable asset for future generations and should be preserved. This plan should be rejected until UDC has taken proper account of Carver Barracks and provided an alternative to Eastern Park. Thank you. Um, Katie Rodwell is our next speaker and can Sandy Merrifield come forward please. 
As a resident of Little Eastern, I have given careful consideration to the new town proposal. Firstly, Uttlesford Council's own conservation appraisal, produced by its own officers as recently as 2015, states, the historic environment cannot be replaced and is a resource that is both fragile and finite. The various historic and architectural elements can be perceived to interact in a complex manner and create a unique sense of place that is appreciated by those lucky enough to reside in such a special place and the many interested persons who appreciate and visit them. There is clear realisation of the importance of a conservation, of conservation and uniqueness of this special place in that passage. The appraisal regarding Little Eastern goes on. Generally, and very importantly, the clear distinction between built form and open countryside has been maintained. In addition to the individual qualities of the buildings themselves, there are other factors such as the relationship of the buildings with each other, the quality of the spaces between them, and the vistas and views that unite or disrupt them. A very thorough appraisal indeed. I think you'll agree and one which I must congratulate Uttlesford on producing. How is it then that so soon after this report was published that this special place with its vistas and views is so threatened with such a catastrophic destruction and so many of us in the countryside believe the Conservative Party are the major party that align most closely to our values? Just last year, in their election manifesto, the Conservatives stated, true conservatism means a commitment to the country and the community, a respect for the local and national institutions for the common good, a partnership between those who are living, those who have lived before us, and those yet to be born. In this proposal, I see no commitment or respect for our local community, its historical sites and the natural beauty that will be robbed so mercilessly from those who are yet to be born. You all should spend some time on self-reflection prior to voting on these proposals. This development is certainly contrary to your own stated policy. The countryside of Little Eastern should be nurtured and protected for future generations. This area is steeped in history and teeming with wildlife. Deer, buzzards, red kite, foxes, badgers, adders, herons, hedgehogs and various bat species all choose and breed here. The abundance of wildlife is staggering. A special place indeed for a great number of people who live and visit there. Once developed, it will be lost forever and so indeed are we. I implore you to look deep into your souls before you vote. What will the legacy of your service to Uttlesford be? Conservation or decimation? Thank you. Um, the next speaker is Sandy Merrifield, and could Jane Goodwin come forward? Stebbing Parish Council and the community of Stebbing feel completely ignored by this council, despite all the comments made at the PPWG and Regulation 18 since 2015. 
and we strongly request that you consider what you are being asked to vote on this evening, whilst West of Braintree is still included in this regulation at 19. Stebbing Parish Council fails to understand how this Council can vote this evening to progress this Regulation 19 pre-submission draft local plan since the advice letter issued by the Government Inspector last week. The Inspector's letter to the North Essex authorities and in relation to the comments relating to West of Baintree must be taken into consideration this evening as you consider how you will vote. His comments vitally affect your decisions this evening. Stebbing Parish Council asks, are you all aware of the existence of the inspector's letter? Has this letter been circulated in full or in pricey? Has this council taken legal advice on it? Has this, has this legal advice been provided to all councillors? And have written recommendations been provided to councillors? In each case, if not, why not? The conclusions that are drawn and the recommendations made in the letter for, in our case, West of Braintree mean that currently and the foreseeable future it is fundamentally flawed and has to go back to the drawing board. To use a teaching analogy, the report card said E and could do much, much better. They did not show enough evidence. How can Uttleford District Council carry on with West of Braintree, which they state will be jointly master planned and delivered with Braintree District Council, if there is doubt that this will not even be included in the revised Section 1 plans of the North Essex Garden Communities. The inspector considers that the garden community proposals are not adequately justified and have not been shown to have a reasonable prospect of being viably developed. This surely indicates that he considers them unsound. The inspector also endorses the advice given by Lord Kerslake that garden community proposals are not financially viable. How can UDC, in these circumstances, justify going forward to the Strategic Growth Development Plan document phase, with so much doubt about Braintree District Council's Section 1 plan raised? Failure to consider this letter and the inspector's conclusions with a blind willingness to adopt the draft Regulation Plan 19 plan as it relates to West of Braintree Garden Community will represent a neglect of the duties on the part of every councillor who does not consider them and purely acts on the party line. In conclusion, I propose that this draft plan is voted against in totality or deferred tonight to allow more time to see West of Bain, where West of Braintree is going or as a matter of proper policy, an amendment is proposed that withdraws West of Braintree from this draft regulation pre-submission plan. Thank you. I'm told Jane Goodwin is not here tonight, so the next speaker is Christina Kent. And could Fiona Wilkinson come forward, please? One of the strongest policies in the existing local plan, and one it seems to me that the planning committee always have tried to uphold, is the avoidance of coalescence between our villages. This was because the Council understood the importance of community identity to the residents of our towns and villages, and it reflected this understanding in its policies. Similarly, after many years of explaining exactly where Uttlesford is, most people have a strong district identity. 
Uttlesford District Council, in its Regulation 19 consultation, is planning to take away both of these, damaging the strong community cohesion in our village. Some years ago, East Hots wished to build near Virchanger. Uttlesford's response was, over our dead body. Why is Stebbing treated so differently? During the recent inquiry, the inspector pointed out to Braintree the importance of separation and green buffers around the new garden communities. Uttlesford District Council is planning to fill the green buffer between Braintree and Stebbing Green with, in the first instance, 970 houses effectively forming coalescence between Stebbing and both Great Sailing and Rain villages, both of which are in Braintree District. Stebbing has become even more concerned this week to read in SP1 3.31 that this is now shown as a minimum figure, despite it being shown as 970 of the 3,500 in SP8. This minimum designation must be removed before the Regulation 19 consultation goes out. The combined plan will, in association with Brentry, eventually form a town of 13,500 houses, the largest conurbation in the district. When this is added to Eastern Park and development in Great Dunmo, the plan is for an eventual 28,000 new homes on a six-kilometre stretch of the B1256 stroke A120. This is madness. Included in the green buffer between Braintree and Stebbing is Andrews Airfield. This is important to us and to the surrounding villages. It is a much-used community asset but it is also of vital historic national value as the very first American airbase to be built in England. Unfortunately, like our village and district identities, this is about to be sacrificed. The changes to the Stansted Airport flight paths have brought misery to Stebbing. At certain times, this becomes almost intolerable. The number of complaints from the village to the airport is now very high and it is consistent. We are disturbed by planes overhead. Can I ask you to start winding up, please? Sorry, I'll conclude. We're disturbed by planes overhead at one minute at peak times with one of the noisiest planes after midnight and very early in the morning. This leaves us with less than six hours sleep. Roger Clues, the Braintree inspector, said that this was something Braintree would have to deal with if they continued with the west of Braintree option. The message is clear. You should not build under flight paths. The south of the district took almost all the housing in the last local plan. And apart from a token 5,000 in Great Chesterford, this is happening again. Yet it is the north of the district that has quality employment and where the housing market is most overheated. Stebbing urges you I'm to sorry, could I ask you abandon to developments to behind else. Stebbing Green and avoid coalescence of our village with Braintree District. Thank you. Um, the next speaker is Fiona Wilkinson and Neil Patterson. Please.
Thank you for the opportunity today to speak on behalf of Little Chesterford Parish Council. I've already spoken at the PPWG about some of our concerns regarding the local plan and we're appreciative of some of the changes that have been made through the efforts of Councillor Redfern and others. But notwithstanding this, we continue to find the plan as a whole unworkable, in particular the creation of a garden community development at North Uttlesford and the expansion of Chesterford Research Park. The, re- the reasons for selection of the North Uttlesford site are given in section 3.18 as being proximity transport links, namely railway stations in the M11 and employment set opportunities in the biotech sector. As other speakers have already pointed out, the local plan doesn't um, provide for sufficient infrastructure to make use of those links. There is minimal infrastructure costs um, associated with an improvement to the roundabout and other improvements are given in only the vaguest of terms. No firm agreement has been reached with neighbouring or, or neighbouring or transport authorities. If the North Essex plan was rejected on the basis that um, there was insufficient funding, certainty or early enough delivery of trunk road improvements and public transport, this is also certainly true of the North Uttlesford site. The other primary reason for the selection of this site is said to be employment opportunities in the biotech sector. However, this strategy is flawed since South Cambridgeshire already have housing provision for those workers and have stated that this site is not required. Nor is there significant demand associated with Chesterford Park, which, as stated in section 5.4 of the Regulation 19 itself, is not growing at the rate projected. We therefore suggest that the continued substantive expansion of the development limits of the park over and above both the current and draft 2015 local plans is not required. At the last PPWG meeting, the leader of the council stated that UDC's 50% ownership of Chesterford Park through Aspire would be made clear in the Regulation 19 plan. However, I've been unable to find a reference to this. The impartiality and transparency of the planning process is called into question when the authority is both an investor seeking to maximise their return on the investment and the plan creator, creating a clear conflict of interest. We urge you to vote against the Regulation 19 local plan as fundamentally flawed and therefore highly likely to be rejected by the planning inspector as was the case with the North Essex Authority. This will place UDC in a much weaker position than if it looked again to provide a properly evidenced plan. Thank you. And finally, Neil Patterson. Good evening. My name is Neil Patterson. I'm a resident of Great Chesterford. Um, I'm speaking tonight both personally and and on behalf of the local action group. Uh, My background, I've worked in the property industry for 40 years, for the last 15 years in development. 13 as head of project management for Landsex London Portfolio, including Ebb's Fleet in Kent, and latterly director of project management at Urban Regeneration Specialist Lendlease. At critical stages in the development process, we always pause and ask ourselves the following question. Does this proposal feel right? 
If it does, we proceed. If it doesn't, we stop or we change it until it does. The local plan is now at a critical stage and I would ask you to consider the following observations specifically related to the proposed new town at Great Chesterford. So does NUGC feel right? The answer is categorically no it doesn't. But it's worse than that. It's just wrong on so many levels. Questionable politics which saw it uh, being reintroduced last year, questionable housing numbers which require its inclusion in the first place, complete lack of supporting infrastructure and lack of clarity on who will fund the utility and transportation network upgrades, 5,000 houses on rolling agricultural landscape where there is no demonstrable demand but plenty of opportunistic land supply. And if that wasn't enough, the cumulative impact of an additional 1,500 houses at the Genome Campus has been ignored, despite being only 600 metres from the NUGC boundary. Yes, the site at Great Chesterford ticks the administrative planning box, but it is not the right answer. So what is the answer? Where should the housing go? I suspect that by the end of this year, the requirement will be for two garden communities to the south of the district, which incidentally already benefit from highways and infrastructure investment, and in the case of Eason Park, a developer that is in total control of the housing delivery, speed and sequence, which is absolutely not the case at Great Chesterford. The balance of housing should then be market-led, where demand requires it. This is already happening in Great Chesterford, where the new appropriately sized developments complement the village environment and provide real community benefit. The Council often refers to garden community principles. There are no such things as garden community principles, as stated by the TPCA. There are only garden city principles, which are founded on viability, sustainability and deliverability. NUGC achieves none of these, and as such, could be rejected by the inspector to our mutual cost, yours reputational and ours financial. If you think delivery is certain, I return to Ebbsfleet the government's hugely lauded model for the new garden cities. After 12 years of trying to make the scheme work, the developer withdrew from the project earlier this year. I suspect that the ongoing burden of infrastructure costs and Section 106 obligations simply made the project unviable. Despite the benevolent social intentions of Grosvenor, the only thing that guarantees development is alignment of location, market forces, profitability and timing, none of which, in my opinion, exist at NUGC. To close, I quote three of UDC's commendable aspirations to safeguard the high quality of life and character of this very special district, to prevent de development occurring in undesirable locations, and to provide development that enhances the natural environment. Does NUGC uh, tick these boxes? No, it doesn't, and you should vote against its inclusion in the local plan. Thank you for listening. Thank you, and thank you to all our speakers, and thank you for keeping to the three minutes. Um, I'm now going to turn to the agenda to item one, and that's apologies for absence and declarations of interest. Councillor Barr. Could I declare an interest as an Essex County Councillor Chairman? Councillor Dean. Are we had apologies, are we on declarations? Apologies and declarations of absence. And, okay. Well, I think uh, Councillor Lachlan has sent in her apologies because she's on holiday, and I would like to declare a personal interest, uh, one, as a, a member of Stop Stansted Expansion, and secondly, that my wife is uh, a trustee at the Gardens of Eastern Lodge. Any others? Councillor Rolf? Councillor Howell uh, sends his apologies. He also is on holiday. Thank you. 
Okay, right, well, we'll move on then to um, the presentation by the officers, please. Madam Chair, um, I, uh, I understand and appreciate the officers will, uh, will make their presentation, and I'm extremely comfortable with that. However, I would then like to, with your indulgence, to speak first following that. Thank you. Yeah, it ha we have to wait for the proposal and the second, and then you can speak. I, I understood that according to procedures, as the first person to, to ask to speak, I shouldn't be so allowed. Perhaps well, you could maybe ask on that. Okay. We'll get back to you on that one. Good evening, members. First, I'm going to take you to the reports and documents that you have before you and the sequence of events since the Planning Policy Working Group meeting on the 31st of May. The main document is the report to full council drafted by Philip Bilo and published before last week's Cabinet meeting covering the Regulation 19 pre-submission draft local plan as recommended by the Planning Policy Working Group. The track changes to the text in red are principally those requested by the Working Group. There is no reference to a residential allocation site at Henham recommended by officers but not accepted by the Working Group. Cabinet generally agreed those changes and accepted additional changes proposed by members. These changes related to the garden communities policies in response to representations received from Historic England. Those changes were proposed by the leader. Additional changes to the same policies um, as proposed by Councillor Redfern and changes to the Stansted Airport policy and supporting text put forward by Councillor Dean and proposed by Councillor Barker. These changes have been captured in a supplementary report as enclosures 1 to 3, page 9 through to page 16, if you're following on ModGov. However, at Cabinet, the leader agreed to consider some further, further some of the points raised in public speaking at the start of the Cabinet meeting and the subsequent debate on these points by portfolio holders present. Consequently, the leader made an urgent executive decision after the Cabinet meeting on these matters. These are documented in Enclosure 4, pages 17 to 20 on MugGov, together with the officer advice on matters related to all the sites that the leader agreed to consider further post-Cabinet. And this advice is documented for transparency reasons. So the main report needs to be read with the supplementary report in my name. The supplementary report contains revised recommendations to Council to reflect Cabinet's resolution. So new recommendation 1 and 2, recommendations 3 to 7 are as in the main report. And the additional changes arising from the Leader's executive decision to recommend to full Council changes related to three of the sites raised to Cabinet. These changes are set out in para 10 of the supplementary report on page 5. Many of the changes particularly affect Chapter 3, so this has completely been reprovided, and you should refer to this additional document rather than the version of Chapter 3 in the main report. I'm now going to turn to a further issue which has arisen since the Cabinet meeting and has been referred to a number of times in public speaking this evening. I refer to the publication by the North Essex Councils of a letter they've received from the inspector appointed to examine their plans. This letter advises those councils of the steps that he considers necessary for their common Section 1 element of their respective plans to be made sound and legally compliant. 
The Chief Executive has written to all members of the Council about this. This letter is not about the Uttlesford local plan, even the proposal that land in Uttlesford be identified as part of a cross-boundary garden community area of search. However, there are some issues that are relevant to the preparation of the Uttlesford local plan. The key issue from the Inspector's letter to the North Essex Councils are additional evidence about trunk road improvements, the A12 widening scheme and the A120 Braintree to A12 duelling scheme. Some of these concerns have already been addressed in part by the announcement of the County Council's preferred route for the A120 duelling, which was made since the examination. And there's ongoing work on this issue. The proposed rapid transit system for North Essex. Further feasibility work is required on the deliverability of this system on the ground, the selection of the most appropriate modal option and routes and the capital cost implications, passenger forecasts and revenue forecasts and time scale for delivery. Again, there's ongoing work on this issue. Delivery of market and affordable housing. The inspector raised issues in respect to the lead time for the North Essex Garden communities and their build-out rates related to Nathaniel Litchfield and Partners' retrospective study. He recognised that the market strength in the area, the size of the site, public sector involvement in infrastructure, the proportion of affordable housing were all factors affecting delivery. It's important to recognise that the North Essex Garden communities vary in these respects. Because the common section one of the North Essex Authority's plans was examined together, the inspector's advice does not apply with equal force to all of the elements. In respect to viability, the inspector needs further evidence on transport costs, the land purchase costs, and the interest payable on borrowing to fund that expenditure until sales of service land are made. The proposals before you do not seek to predetermine that the garden communities can only be delivered using the locally-led development corporation model. At examination, this council's case would be supported by our promoter uh, representations. The North Essex letter confirms how inspectors have been asked by government to work with councils to seek further evidence, propose solutions and issue modifications as required in order to get a sound plan. We have prior notice of the strength of evidence our inspector will probably need to see and a window to further strengthen the case as required before submission if Council accepts the recommendations tonight. But the proposals before you are in locations benefiting from a stronger housing market than parts of North Essex. They do not include a proposal on the scale of the Braintree Colchester Borders um, scheme and rapid transit is a simpler proposition in the Uttlesford context linking to the local and regional interchange at the airport. The preparation of the plan has followed a lengthy, rigorous, multi-stage process with ongoing community engagement with the planning policy working group. The evidence base has been strengthened since the preferred options regulation 18 consultation take into account representations received. The evidence has been presented to the planning policy working group, including the opportunity for members to ask questions and seek clarification from the experts engaged to assist in collecting the evidence to support the plan. Part of the soundness test that the plan should be justified depends on having proportionate evidence, and I underline proportionate evidence. Next slide. The scale of growth that the plan needs to address to meet objectively assessed development and infrastructure requirements is challenging and a step change from the previous experience of this community. 
but neighbouring authorities have had to plan to deliver even more and some of these plans have completed their examinations and the main modifications recommended from their inspector have been published. Next. In summary, key features of the version of plan recommended to proceed to the Regulation 19 representation stage are a hybrid strategy with a combination of development in towns and villages and a start on creating new garden communities previously identified as the preferred options from all the reasonable alternatives. The contribution from towns and villages has had to be strengthened so it can be shown that the plan once adopted would deliver a five-year land supply. As a matter of policy, the delivery of homes is profiled to reflect the need to start garden communities to protect the historic character and environmental quality of towns and villages and take into account their lead times. The commitment to garden principles has been emphasised by elevating them to policy requirements. And in response to representations, additional detail requirements have been added to the strategic policy frameworks for each of the garden communities, notwithstanding that more detailed development plans will supplement these garden community policies in due course as more in-depth evidence is gathered. There have been other changes recommended in the plan before you tonight. I'm just going to highlight two of them. The development management policies have been the subject of a workshop with members of the planning committee. The Stansted Airport strategic allocation policy is essentially as in the Regulation 18 preferred options plan, in particular criteria 3 to 7, notwithstanding representations requesting changes to these elements during consultation last year. The policy refers to the airport being a local transport interchange as in the Regulation 18 plan and this is now reflected in the explanatory text. Some additional explanatory text sought by Councillor Dean has been added, as I mentioned to you, taking you through the reports before you tonight. Now I'm going to hand over to Stephen Miles to take you through the next slides. Thank you. Um, I am first going to run you through housing, how the housing requirement for the local plan was arrived at. The Strategic Housing Market Assessment in 2017, or the SHMAR, um, uses the Office of National Statistics household projections for the, for the district. Um, these are the latest projections which are available, which were from 2014, published in 2016. This indicates household growth in the district of 11,427. The Schmar then adjusts that from household growth into dwelling growth, which increases it to 11,733. The Schmar then applies a market signals adjustment. The, the, the 2017 Schmar applies an adjustment of 13.63%. However, recent findings from the East Hertfordshire examination, the inspector there thought, has thought to change it to 14% instead of 13.63. So our plan takes that into account and that raises it to 13,376. Um, we then have to take into account the growth in people living in communal establishments, care homes and, and the like, and that adds an additional 504 uh, places in communal establishments, taking the need to 13,880. The plan then has a housing requirement of at least 14,000 homes. This recognises the uncertainties that there are in forecasting and builds in an element of robustness into that requirement. The supply 
is then uh, a figure of around 14,600. This provides flexibility to respond to changing circumstances and deal with if, uh, if there were delays in sites or sites don't come forward for whatever reason, we would still be able to meet our target. The local plan has a hybrid strategy. Um, this means that there are the, the, the growth in the three garden communities uh, which are proposed, but there is additional growth in the existing towns and villages, much of it already built or with planning permission. Uh, so, th yeah, this shows all the growth in the villages on all sites of over six units um, between 2011 and 2033. And the next slide provides a map of that growth. Uh, apologies, those at the back of the room, you may struggle to see this. Um, the circles shown on the map are proportional to the growth in towns and villages and the, gar and the three garden communities. The, the, these two slides demonstrate the, um, the hybrid nature of the strategy. The three garden communities are not the only source of housing growth in, in the plan. They also show the significant contribution that Great Dunmo is making to meeting the housing needs in the plan. Um, little more now on the garden community principles. As I said earlier, these principles have been written into the policy text. These, uh, I should also say, these principles are based on the TCPA uh, garden city principles. Writing them into policy text allows increased weight to be attached to these principles when determining applications on the garden communities and when developing the, the development plan documents, which I'll come on to on the next slide. Um, the principles set out at a high level the ambition that the Council has for the developments at Eastern Park, North Uttlesford and west of Braintree. Development plan documents. The local plan commits to producing development plan documents for each of the garden communities. The Regulation 18 local plan, which was consulted on last summer, left the question open as to whether to uh, pursue these through development plan documents or supplementary planning documents. The plan before you uh, proposed, makes the decision, recommends to make the decision to go for development plan documents or DPDs. DPDs allow for uh, new text to be written into policy. They allow for two or more further stages of consultation and then an examination in public, similar to the local plan. DPDs do take longer to produce and are more costly to produce, but it is considered that the increased public engagement and the opportunities for public scrutiny are worth that cost. DPDs have the same weight that can be attached to them as local plans. Indeed, the local plan is a development plan document. I'll now hand over to Dawn French. Thank you, Stephen. So, uh, members, I'm going to talk about the next steps. You will be familiar with this. Um, so, I'd just like to remind you that uh, if the plan is approved this evening, we have referred uh, it as a, to the next stage as a consultation, but technically, the period uh, which would start Monday, if the plan was approved this evening, uh, is a period to make representations. Uh, actually for the benefit of the planning inspector. The council conducts this exercise on their behalf. We will of course reflect upon these representations and provide commentary to the inspector in terms of our response. 
It might include pointing the inspector to documents and evidence which the inspector might find it useful to refer to. Uh, and clearly, in this period, we will have regard to representations relevant to the position with West of Braintree, as well as monitoring the additional evidence compiled by the North Essex authorities and, of course, clearly specifically relating to the West of Braintree site. So, subject to the timing of these matters and any further work that we may need to undertake, the submission date, which we've indicated to be October, may be slightly later. But assuming the new national planning policy framework is published in July, as we are led to believe, we will have six months in which to submit our plan if we are to benefit from the transition arrangements, including relying on our assessment of housing need rather than having to use the government's methodology. Once the plan and the representations are submitted to the inspector, the timetable is actually out of our hands and therefore the next stages from submission are only an estimate. So I need to uh, identify for members uh, that they have a number of options available to them this evening and I need to explain the implications having regard to the fact that these are recommendations from Cabinet. So, uh, Council could accept the Cabinet recommendations and approve uh, the local plan uh, to go forward for the representation period and that decision would take effect from in, uh, with immediate effect this evening. Uh, Council has the option to amend the recommendation. The Constitution provides that if the Cabinet's recommendations are not accepted, the Council tonight can only make an in-principle decision. If this happens, there is effectively a cooling-off period during which the leader can decide whether to accept the council decision or to prompt more debate at a further council meeting. If the leader objects to the decision, another council meeting will need to be called within 10 working days. If the leader does not object, the decision will take effect after six working days. This further council meeting, should it prove to be necessary, can make a final decision. There would not be a second cooling off period. Members will appreciate that this would cause problems with the timetable for submission of the plan as it would impact on the consultation period and our commitment within the statement of community involvement, which forms part of the examination. The third option for members is to reject the recommendation and as with amendments, the Constitution provides that if the Cabinet's recommendations are not accepted, the Council can only make an in-principle decision and the same procedure would apply in terms of uh, whether to call another Cabinet or not. Another option open to Council this evening is to refer the plan back to Cabinet. Council would need to be very clear what it was seeking to achieve by referring the plan back to Cabinet and this would therefore impact uh, on the timetable for submission of the plans, uh, again for the reasons explained. And finally, members have the option to defer consideration of the plan to a future meeting. Council would need to be clear what is required before considering the plan again and again this would have implications for the timetable for submission as I've referred to. Um, I do also need to set out for members what are the risks uh, of not approving the plan this evening. I do, do not make these comments with any view to threatening or pressurising members in their decision making. It is a critical principle established by the court and derived from public law cases 
that decision makers need to take relevant factors into account when reaching a decision and not take into account irrelevant factors. These risks are relevant factors. So the risk would be around the five-year land supply and that we currently cannot demonstrate that and without a plan, all of the time we have no plan, that would be the case. This exposes us to speculative development in locations that members and the public consider to be unsuitable and without attracting the necessary infrastructure. I should remind members that if we proceed with the Regulation 19 plan and conclude the representation stage, weight can be attached to the plan in those areas where representations have not been received. This could assist to protect uh, policies such as the countryside protection, green belt or development management policies which members have contributed to. The Council uh, could lose control over the allocations outlined in the Regulation 19 plan because officers have put before you uh, a plan stating that these are sustainable locations. However, the requirements we have attached within the policies, including the garden community allocations, adherence to the garden community principles, could be watered down or argued away. As stated, members will be aware that the new national planning policy framework is expected shortly and the transition provisions will enable local planning authorities which submit within six months to be able to rely on their objectively assessed housing needs. Beyond the transition, local planning authorities will be required to follow the government's standard approach to assessing local housing needs. Members will be aware that this has previously been indicated to be 16,200 for Uttlesford District Council. And whilst this may not be the final position, because it would apply at the point of uh, the transition exceeding, it indicates the direction of travel for local planning authorities to provide for higher housing numbers. A delay in submitting the plan may result in the need to review the whole plan, including evidence base and the spatial strategy, as old evidence goes out of date, changes in national policy generate the need for further rework and new applications are approved, etc. And finally, intervention by the government who do have the powers to take over the policy plan making. Members have previously advised, been advised that 15 local authorities were subject to the first stage and of these, three are in the second stage, with an announcement due shortly on whether the plan making will be taken over and by whom in each of these three areas. Where the plan making is taken over, the local planning authority will have to bear all of the costs. It is also expected that the next tranche of authorities to be subject to intervention will also need to be announced. And finally, Again, uh, to reiterate uh, the comments of Mr Harborough earlier, the recommendations are set out in your supplementary report, pages 3 and 4, and effectively recommendations 3 to 7 are consequential, consequential to recommendations 1 and 2. I will leave the proposer of the recommendations to read these out in full, but in summary, the recommendations are that the local plan is noted, uh, the uh, the amendments in the local plan are noted following Cabinet and following the Leader's Statement. 
It is ready for publication, for comment, which is the Regulation 19 stage, that's Recommendation 2. And this means it will be published in order that the public and all other interested parties can make their recommendations. Recommendation 3 is effectively saying it is ready for submission, subject to my earlier comments, expected to be around October, and delegates non-material amendments prior to submission in Regulation 4. Regulation 5 and 6 delegate a schedule of mod modifications along with the submission, and Recommendation 7 uh, enables the appropriate weight can be attached to the draft local plan in considering local planning applications. The Chairman has previously advised that she intends to take these recommendations on block. That concludes, Chairman, the presentation by officers. Right, thank you very much. Um, just for clarity, uh, Councillor Lodge, I've consulted with our legal officer and you may not speak until after the motion has been seconded. Rule 12 states, no speeches until motion seconded. No speeches may be made after the mover has moved a proposal and explained the purpose of it until the motion has been seconded. Point of order, Madam Chairman. Um, on, uh, on, the, on the agenda, the, uh, the, there is no motion mentioned. Uh, in fact, it says that we are to consider the Regulation 19 pre-submission pre draft plan. So I wish to make a proposal with regard to that plan. There is no motion set down in the agenda. I'm going to ask our legal officer to advise, please. Well, what you have before you is a recommendation by Cabinet. This is the procedure for considering the local plan. There's a kind of um, demarcation of responsibilities. It's for the Cabinet to um, make recommendations to Council. It's for Council to consider them. Uh, the uh, Council's uh, procedure rules deal with uh, motions. Uh, I suspect they date back to before the introduction of Cabinet Government. It might be helpful if there was explicit... Uh, rules for dealing with uh, recommendations from Council, but I mean it's the same as a motion. My strong recommendation to the Chairman would be in accordance with normal procedure to allow the Cabinet to explain its recommendation before there is debate. Well, I'm sorry, that is what I'm going to do. So I'm now going to ask for Councillor Barker to um, take item two, which is Regulation 19, pre-submission local plan. Oh, sorry, Madam Chairman, point of order, please. Sorry. Um, I, I do Could I ask what point of order? Point of order to the regulations to the issue of the uh, calling of a motion. I do apologise, but I may be new to this, but I read the, the, the rules that I've Sorry, I've which number are you referring Rule to? Rule 11, point 11, motions without notice. There is no motion. A recommendation I apologise, Madam Chairman, there is no motion. There is a recommendation from Cabinet, and that is what we are considering so I'm going to again ask Councillor Barker, please, to take item two. Thank you, Chairman, um, and thank you very much. I must start by thanking all the members of the public who have come along tonight, and many of whom we've seen on many other occasions to put their points across, and I have taken note of all these points. Many of them were points rather than questions, um, but some very interesting things, particularly around uh, CICs and how we help the young and how we build this place as a fit place for young people in the future. I'd also like to thank the officers for their presentations and clarification on several points. It's been a long week since Cabinet where proposals were agreed to include further safeguards in relation to the airport policy SP11. 
followed by a leader in consultation with Cabinet colleagues to remove one small additional site at Bardfield House in Great Dunmo and amend two small site allocations at Bricketts in Newport and Debden in the Regulation 19 proposals after strong representation was made at Cabinet last week. These changes now replicate the situation as presented at the Regulation 18 stage. The planning, the planning application at Stansted, as we know, has been delayed and the inspector has written to Braintree District Council regarding issues with their local plan. As we've heard, their inspector considers matters including the spatial strategy that has been adopted, includes issues about sustainability, viability and infrastructure, making particular reference to the A12, A120 east of Braintree and the proposals for a rapid transport link. In paragraph 92, he talks about delivery and states that it is also necessary for soundness to remove the reference to deploying new methods of delivery as a policy requirement. He goes on to say that it may be a legitimate aspiration of the North Essex authorities, but there is no substantial evidence to show that only unspecified new methods of delivery are capable of achieving the policy's objective. This has been our advice, and I do not believe that a local delivery corporation should form part of our plan. Moving on to our plan, you will recall that in July 2017, this Council agreed to move forward to Regulation 18 consultation with a single vote against. This was with a hybrid model involving towns, villages and new settlements. The officers have talked you through the methodology by which we got to a hybrid solution, what that looks like and why the plan proposes three settlements. Chair, can I ask? No. You. Can you not interrupt the meeting? I'm The proposer is not restricted to time. I won't be very long, don't worry. We have lots of other people who would wish to speak. Since that time, since July last year, no members, groups of public, any group within this council has actually proposed an alternative strategy or any major alternative sites to what was proposed at Regulation 18. The plan as presented today has been updated since that time to reflect updated housing and employment numbers and is supported with large volumes of evidence. Additional sites have been added since the Regulation 18 consultation, which are mainly sites that have received planning permission since then, or are in emerging neighbourhood plans. There are, of course, a few exceptions. Chairman, the plan before you protects our green belt. It protects the countryside protection zone, keeping Stansted as an airport in the countryside. As part of the plan relies on garden communities to deliver housing numbers, we have built in a stepped approach to housing delivery, with 568 homes a year from 2011 to 2022 and 705 a year from then on to 2033. The plan also allows for a buffer to smooth delivery and ensure a five-year land supply at point of submission and adoption, which is hoped to be in autumn 2019. Chairman, there has been much discussion about the numbers that should be included in our plan, and I think that has been adequately explained by the papers in front of you and by Mr Miles. We should take comfort from the fact that work of ORS has been tested at the examination of East Hearts Plan, who form part of our strategic housing market area. But it will ultimately be for our inspector to decide on this. For the Council today, we have to draw a line in the sand and move forward to the next stage, agreeing this plan for Regulation 19 consultation, and then to the inspector for examination. Delivering the new homes through whatever delivery model emerges will be a great challenge for future Councils to ensure that land value capture is achieved, to make sure we create great places to live for our children and for theirs, to ensure houses are built to the same quality, whether affordable or market homes, 
and to ensure that 40% of homes are truly affordable for future generations of residents living in the area using community land trusts or other similar schemes. Often overlooked are the allocations for employment and this plan provides opportunities for businesses to grow in Uttlesford and for residents to be employed locally. Chairman of the Council, over the last three years, through the cross-party working group known as the Planning Policy Working Group, has invited members of the group and the public to comment on the many dozens of policies and the facts and figures in those policies. This has been an open and transparent process and I would like to thank Councillors Dean and Lodge and all other members of the group for the time and commitment they've given to that role. We have held workshops around development management policies and again members have had input into the changing and updating of those policies. This council has also, throughout the process, taken soundings at regular intervals from an invited planning inspector who has been happy with the way that we have progressed the plan. Chairman, I'd like to move on and it's been suggested I should read out in full the recommendations that are set out in your supplementary document. Recommendation one is that Council notes the amendments recommended by the Cabinet and the Leader to the draft local plan at and following the Cabinet meeting on the 12th of June 2018. Two, that Council, being satisfied that the preparation of the local plan has complied with the relevant regulatory requirements and being of view that the Regulation 19 pre-submission local plan document is ready for submission to Government for independent examination, approves the Regulation 19 pre-submission local plan recommended by the Leader and the Cabinet for publication in accordance with the Town and Country Planning in brackets Local Planning in brackets England Regulations 2012. Three, that following the conclusion of the Regulation 19 publication period, the local plan be submitted to the Secretary of State for independent examination under Section 20 of the Planning Compulsory Purchase Act 2004 in brackets as amended the 2004 Act together with the submission documents prescribed by Regulation 22 of the 2012 Regulations before 31st of March 2019. Four, that the Director of Public Services, in consultation with the Environment Services Portfolio Holder, be authorised to make non-material typographical formatting, mapping and other minor amendments to the plan prior to the submission of the plan to the Secretary of State. Five, that the Director of Public Service be authorised to write to the local plan inspector appointed to carry out the examination of the submitted local plan, in brackets, the local plan inspector, asking him or her to recommend such modifications of the submitted local plan as may be necessary to make the plan sound and legally compliant in accordance with Section 27C of the 2004 Act. Six, that the Director of Public Services, in consultation with the Environment Services portfolio holder, be authorised to submit a schedule of proposed main modifications of the submitted local plan to address any issues relating to soundness and legal compliance identified by the local plan inspector, and seven, that the local plan submission version 2018 be endorsed as a material consideration to be used in the determination of planning applications and enforcement decisions to be given appropriate weight in accordance with paragraph 216 of the National Planning Policy Framework. Chairman, I so move. Thank you. Does that find a seconder? Councillor Wolf, would you like to speak? I, I won't speak at this stage, thank you, Chairman. Okay. Right, well, I'll ask the group leaders. Uh, Councillor Lodge, would you like to speak? Yeah, you have, just for clarity, the group leaders have unlimited time um, and the members have five minutes. Yes, indeed. Madam Chair, with your indulgence, I would like to make a brief speech now and then summarise as party leader at the end. Sorry, you only get one bite of the cherry, so to speak. 
<laughs> uh, yes, it's, it's very, very obvious that where, where your, your favouritism lies here. Now, I'm sure that. The, uh, I'm uh, sorry, but that is not acceptable. It is not at all. It is, it is just the, the conduct I've, of the I've, meeting has been set out at the outset, and I ask the proposer, the seconder, and the group leaders to speak, and members then can. I, I, think, I think the members of the public will draw their own conclusions. And so, in fact, um, this, this, this is very unsatisfactory in that um, we, 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 um, we, we really want this plan to work and um, we, we, we have a number of uh, issues which we're going to explore this evening and it would be very sensible if I summarised those at the end. Uh, the, um, uh, the members here and the public will not get the best result from this, they will not get the best view of what's going on. However, I will accept your rulings and I will go through uh, the whole of my notes in one go. It will not be the best process, however, uh, I will go and do that. Uh, very sad that you have to work on this very narrow I basis. I would just however, interject, Councillor um, Wolf, they are not my rulings, they are Council rulings. Um, I will leave process behind and go on to the substance then. As I said, we all want a plan that works. Um, rather sadly, um, this is not a plan that works as yet. And so I would like to start by, by proposing an amendment. And the amendment is that the Regulation 19 plan be deferred to rectify the shortcomings which it currently embodies. Um, unfortunately, the Inspector of Braintree has rather hold our plan below the waterline. We all want a plan uh, that Councillor works. Uh, Councillor Lodge, sorry, the Chief Executive would just like to clarify something. So, Councillor Lodge, may I ask you to clarify, is it recommendation, which recommendation are you seeking to amend and what would the wording be, please? I am moving an amendment which says that the whole of the Regulation 19 plan submission as proposed this evening, be deferred to rectify the shortcomings which it currently embodies. So is that an amendment to recommendation two? So, or is it to delete all seven recommendations? This, this applies to the whole submission of the plan. Delete yes. all seven recommendations and replace with a motion to say... The motion is that the, the, the Regulation 19 plan be deferred to rectify the shortcomings which it currently embodies. Second. Does your amendment clarify what the shortcomings are, Councillor Lodge? Because as I pointed out, we need to be clear in bringing the plan back what has got to be rectified. I will, I will, I will certainly, uh, certainly lay out the shortcomings of the plan, absolutely, yes. Do you have a seconder for your motion? Uh, yeah, I will ask for a seconder. Are you able to clarify what your amendments are or do you need to take a moment to do that? Because to bring the plan back we need to know exactly what they are. 
It is impossible to say exactly what they are. I'm asking for a significant amount of extra work to be done to amend the defects in the plan. So I will go through the broad headings uh, and I'm then very happy to work together The legal officer is saying that we do need um, bullet points for what your amendments are. He's happy to help you formulate them if you don't have them there. If you'd, like, if you'd just like to take a break. I, I'm going on to those bullet points. I was then going to come back and sum up with, uh, with more complete points after some members of my team have spoken. Well, You've he's telling me it needs to all. be in the amendment, in, in the motion amendment that you're making. You need to have the bullet points clear. Why? Because. <laughs> well, look, can I say, I mean, I did invite Councillor Lodge to discuss amendments with me before the meeting, and so this is uncomfortable. Um, this is referring to shortcomings. The Cabinet sits down, or the Planning Policy Working Group sits down, and says, well, what are these shortcomings? And it then needs to, I mean, on what basis? The Council needs to understand what the shortcomings you are alleging, and then it needs to assess them and decide whether you are right. At the very least, it needs some sort of bullet pointing and some indication. So that I'm about to give the bullet points, if I'm allowed so to do. But they need to be embodied in the amendment. Why? why? Why do they need to be embodied in the, in the amendment? It, it would seem to me, Councillor Lodge, that perhaps you need to have some training in how council meetings are conducted because this is inappropriate. Councillor Lodge, do you I, wish to take an adjournment to consider your amendment because it does have to take, have the bullet points in it. We cannot consider something that's just talk. We need to have the amendment with the bullet points. And if you wish to take I, a break, I, I, have made a, I have made a, a proposal. I have made an amendment. I wish the amendment to be debated. Well, The choice is this, Councillor Lodge. I'm advised it's either going to be ruled out of order or you can take a five-minute break with the legal officer and put forward an amendment which is correct to Council. It's your choice. Madam Chairman, point of order. Uh, I know we don't attach much importance to Which point to the of order? Of which yes, number, please? I'm going to tell you. 11.14, which says that uh, it requires... Um, a motion moved without notice that the, if the meeting is to continue beyond two hours, we've been going for two hours and about 11 minutes for this to be appropriate we need to actually consider whether we are allowed to continue for another for however long it takes we have gone on for more than two hours I think Councillor Freeman in an, a matter like this then we are obviously going to be going for longer than two hours
Rule 8 actually says meetings of the Council should aim to cease after two hours' duration. Well, our meeting has only just started. Chairman, point of order, point of information as well, really. Sorry, Councillor Jones. Yes, Chairman, I, I, I would question that last comment about when the meeting started. I was summoned to be here at 7 o'clock to hear the public representation and to take part in the meeting that subsequently followed. I believe we have been going over two hours. I propose that this Council continues in session. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have a seconder for that? Councillor Ranger. Can I have a show of hands and continue this meeting? Right, so Councillor Lodge, what would you like to do? Do you wish your amendment to be ruled out of order or do you wish to take an adjournment with the legal officer? Um, I'm, I could maybe try another, another approach. Under, uh, under Rule 11, uh, Council Procedure Rules Part 4, um, I would like then under 11.8 to withdraw, the, to, prose, to propose that the motion is withdrawn. I'm going to ask our legal officer to speak. Just to be quite clear, what we're dealing with now, and it's a statutory procedure, is we're dealing with a recommendation by Cabinet. Um, you cannot have a vote now to withdraw the Cabinet recommendation. That is not what you can do. Um, if you have moved a motion, you, you, you can with, withdraw it. But this isn't what we're talking about. You can vote against the recommendation by Cabinet. You can move deferral, but you can't use... Um, um, Council Procedure Rule 11.8 to withdraw the Cabinet's recommendation with regards to the local plan. Let me try again. Let, I, will, I will then propose deferral of this motion. And I have a whole series of points which I'm very happy to speak to. So, so what is, what if you, can, can, yes, suggest we pause this because this is... I'm going to take a five-minute adjournment. Please hold. Your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold. Your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Right, Councillor Roll, oh, Councillor Lodge, apologies, is going to make an amendment and the Chief Executive is going to read that out for us, if that's okay with you. The amendment that's being proposed by Councillor Lodge is that the Regulation 19 plan be deferred to rectify the shortcomings of the plan, including a viable financial plan for new communities proper consideration of expansion at Stansted Airport, a workable transport plan, a workable sports strategy, a scientific assessment of housing need, assurances of an adequate water supply and real affordable houses including for key workers. Do I, need to do I need to repeat that for yes, anybody? Please. 
The Regulation 19 plan be deferred to rectify the shortcomings of the plan, including a viable financial plan for new communities, proper consideration of expansion at Stansted Airport, a workable transport plan, a workable sports strategy, a scientific assessment of housing need, assurances of an adequate water supply and real affordable houses, including for key workers. So, Councillor Lodge, would you like to speak to... Firstly, could I ask for a seconder? You have a seconder. Councillor Gerard. Okay, Councillor Lodge. Thank you, Chair, and uh, sorry to the the people assembled that the procedural side has been so difficult, but I hope you will agree that... uh, uh, by the end of the evening, it will be um, the, best, the best course for the, for the submission of this plan. Um, I would first like to start off by, by thanking the officers who have done a, a, a tremendous amount of uh, hard work under very difficult circumstances, and I'll probably come back and echo those difficult circumstances later. But, Madam Chairman, um, we all want a plan that works. And uh, as I was about to say earlier, unfortunately, this plan has been held below the waterline by last Friday's report. For, this was from, I think people will be aware, this is from the inspector on the Braintree plan. Um, we effectively lost 15% of our planned housing, which was to be built at west of Braintree. This is currently not deliverable, and this, this was from the report of the inspector. If we, if we go forward now to Regulation 19, we will then likely experience even further delay on what is almost certain to be a rejection. We must pause now and in particular address a number of previously identified issues as well as these particular uh, problems which we've seen with the new communities from the Braintree plan. In that deferral period, my motion now spells out a number of those things, but just for a recap, um, the financial plan which the inspectors saw at Braintree was not workable. Um, To a great degree, they are ahead of us. They have done more work. We are behind in those. And yet, those people have done more work. Their plan has been rejected as not being financially viable. Um, We want a traffic plan which is workable. And, for example, having a single entry into two major new communities is part of a plan which is not workable. We've heard a lot about the numbers and the calculation of the, uh, the Shamar. Uh, we've seen about the, uh, the, the addition of the care home contribution later and how that asks further question about the numbers. We have to get those numbers right and we're not there yet. On the water supply, which is one thing I've asked about, if you've read the reports carefully, we're actually being asked to take fewer showers. Now, then, this really is not a water plan that works at the moment. It needs to be addressed. Um, we need to provide infrastructure before we build the houses, and we need real affordable houses. We pay lip service to affordable housing, but it's not real affordable housing. We need that real affordable housing, including provision for key workers. That can be done if we get the new communities right. And we need to do real work on jobs and schools. Um, when you see the, um, the, the, the housing minister's uh, 
pronouncements about development cooperation. Dominic Raab announced these a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then you have a look at what the inspector, Roger Clues, have said about the suitability of development corporations. They appear to be arguing about that particular concept, and I understand that uh, there is considerable um, work to be done on those, and uh, we need that work, we need the concentration on that work in the deferment period. Um, what the Roger Clues said, it is vital that we share in the development with West of Braintree I was, uh, in fact, the only representative of Ottersford who attended the consideration of the viability of the new communities in that plan. And it was very obvious, sitting through that day, going through the evidence, that there was going to be a serious problem. So the pronunciations last week were no surprise to me. At least Braintree did that financial viability. We haven't even tried to do it. We are taking so much on trust and we will certainly be found unsound if we go to that inspection without that financial plan. We need to defer now to be able to do that. Madam Chair, Mr. Clue made a, a number of other points which uh, will highlight the deficiencies that we have. Um, not enough has been, work has been done on a rapid transport system. Some of you who have studied it will know that there is a plan to move and to, to produce a new rapid transport system which potentially goes from east of Colchester through the Marks Tay uh, new development through to the west of Braintree onto Eastern Park and then potentially onto Stansted Airport and even Bishop Stortford. This was found totally unsound in the assessment and this is extremely relevant to us. One other comment from the inspector there. Um, the three councils in the North Essex Garden Villages are aiming to build three new communities. That's an average of about one each. Mr. Clouse said that this was over-ambitious and suggested changes, perhaps that they're not even done in parallel, they may be done separately. We are looking to do three new communities on our own. So if you contrast that task and the comments of the inspector, the, 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 the likelihood that he will find our plan sound on that basis is very, very, very unlikely, and hence a further reason why we need to defer to consider that. Um, West of Braintree is short of a deliverable road strategy, um, and it's undeliverable for that purpose. Our plan is undeliverable as it currently stands as a result of that. Mr. Clue said that Braintree failed to deal with land acquisition and its cost. We haven't even thought about that yet. We've got to look at a viable financial plan and we need the deferment to do that. And although Braintree has produced a more detailed plan than us, that is their overall plan, um, they have as a result left, left less of their plans into the later DPDs. Um, even despite that, Mr. Clues wants more consultation. They have done some of their DPDs. We have not even started them. So doing Regulation 19 now will be pointless because we will need to consult again and not deferring now will put back the plan even further. So the apparent delay should lead to a faster acceptance of the plan. I would like members to, to, to get that firmly into their minds. Um, 
Mr. Clues said that Braintree deferred too much into the DPD, amazingly, and we are deferring everything into that DPD. So I'm afraid that we are very, very likely to be found unsound. Um, he also said that the delivery of 300 houses um, per year in their new communities was an overambitious plan. And this is um, something that we are looking to in our new communities. And he, in fact, recommended that they went back to 250 per annum. So that raises further questions. With almost 1,000 houses taken out of Western Braintree, with the recommendation that we can't deliver the number of houses that we are planning, this leaves major question marks. And as I said before, there's very serious likelihood that we will be rejected and our timetable will be deferred even further. Braintree is also criticised uh, for whilst it, uh, it goes into its housing in a great deal of detail, they are short of employment land details and leave too much to be done in the DPDs. We're leaving it all to be done in the DPDs. So you can imagine how an inspector will look at ours. It is certain to lead to a rejection and further work. Um, finally, Madam Chair, I'd like to consider the control of the new community development. Some comments have, uh, have been uh, made this evening and suggested that development corporations were, were, were a sort of a sole suggestion from, from me and my, uh, and my colleagues. Um, this is not the case. People have seized on the issue of these development corporations and Dominic Raab, the housing minister, likes them, yet they are not totally essential. What we are looking to and what we really want to do is that we want to ensure that the community, in particular this council, controls the development. The new communities are too important to be handed over to the developers who have been guilty of making so many errors on recent developments. What is important is we do not let these people asset strip our land to, take, to make additional profits for themselves. Of two developers who are operating in Ottersford, one donated a million pounds to a political party and I can reveal that it wasn't RFU. And another has allocated £328 million to its directors. This is money which should be building our schools, roads and doctors' surgeries. And it still can be if we do it right. Councillor Rolfe last week likened this point of mine as coming from uh, a far-left political organisation known as Momentum. Um, what I would say is that um, I would really like this to be not a party political issue. It should be about what the community needs. I know there has been intense whipping from members to support the cabinet position uh, and I do have sympathy with that. I, I understand the very difficult decisions that you have to make. You have to perhaps choose between your party and the community and the residents. But I beg of you in this case, put the residents first. You will not in the future be forgiven by those residents. What we need is a plan that works. Now is the time to do that work and get it right. I ask you to vote to defer this plan. Thank you. Does the seconder, Councillor Gerard, do you wish to speak? I can reserve my speech to 
Okay, I'll open it up to the floor then. Five minutes each. Uh, Councillor Rolf. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Um, we are absolutely putting residents at the heart of this plan. If, uh, if we don't go ahead to the timetable, I think we all collectively know what happens. Make, make no mistake, the housing will happen. Whether we deliver the plan, we defer the plan, government does the plan, the housing will happen. And the very best thing that we can do is stay in control. We know the timetable and deferment will derail the timetable. Um, Councillor Lodge laid out about six points and I will go through each of them but he laid great store by uh, last Friday's letter from the uh, North Essex inspector and there was a little bit of selective um, um, mention uh, because the chief executive pointed out that actually the inspector was trying to be and I think this is a new direction from government that the inspector was trying to be particularly helpful he didn't reject he said I want further evidence um, and uh, I think that is to be welcomed now let's bear in mind that we won't be going to the inspector for another four to five months so uh, he made some very interesting points but I would point out to you council uh, that this is one inspector we've had two inspectors come to Uttlesford and although they don't do a detailed examination they do say you're on the right lines or you're definitely not on the right lines and they have both said you're on the right lines so uh, uh, you know that gives us a lot of comfort so we don't know which inspector we don't quite know where they're coming from but we do we do understand that the government is uh, wanting to pursue its intention of having plans for more homes and therefore will try and be more constructive so no plan if you look at the detail uh, ha does not have some comment from the inspector. No plan. So, of course, we're going to get comments from the inspector, uh, and it will depend on what they are. So, um, but he did, uh, he did make one point, and I refer you to paragraph 92 of his letter, uh, which says, I don't want to talk about development corporations at this moment in time. It is not about the delivery mechanism for my inspection. And I think that's important. So this whole question of development corporation, uh, let's just deal with that. And then I'll come back to garden cities, communities. Development corporations are a perfectly legitimate, locally led development corporations are a perfectly legitimate solution if you're not delivering what this council has set out to deliver. Uh, and I'm now talking about the new settlements as opposed to uh, existing, but I will come back to that in, a, in another session. So to deliver those three communities, albeit one of them were a very small partner with, with Braintree District Council, to deliver them, we are absolutely committed to the nine principles of, of garden cities. And that is fundamental, absolutely fundamental to the model. Because if we're not going to get locally uh, uh, um, land capture value, we will not go ahead. The developers are in the room tonight. I have said this publicly before and I will say it again. 
We will not go ahead if we don't do it on garden city principles. So please stop talking to me about no schools, about no uh, um, medical facilities, about no community facilities, no infrastructure facilities, because they will be built in. And I don't take the point that uh, we've, we've skimmed on the detail. We don't take that point at all. Uh, in fact, the two inspectors that have come to see us have said, you are further ahead in, uh, in your plan than is normal in these circumstances. So we will then go on to deliver development plan documents. Mr. Miles made the point. It takes longer, it's more expensive, and trust me, deliver, producing a local plan is expensive. Uh, and if we have to start this all over again, it will be even more expensive, possibly uh, you know, too expensive. Development plan documents, and I'm sure you're, you've all read the detail of what they deliver, but Mr. Miles very clearly laid that out. They will go into the detail. So coming back to some of the points uh, that were made by the uh, audience, and I've noticed that I'm running out of time, so <laughs> I'm going to get uh, caught out here. But uh, uh, councillors, I firmly uh, uh, um, ask you to reject this. We'll go back to the substantive motion, we'll come back to that, uh, but please, deferring it is, is not the right point at all. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Councillor Morris was next. Thank you. Madam Chairman, may I start by saying that I am heartened to see some sites within the plan allocated for community use. Namely, sites allocated for educational purposes in Great Chesterford, Newport, Stansted, Mount Fitchett and Thaxted. And the safeguarding of the community hospital site in Saffron Walden must also be welcomed. However, it is with dismay that I failed to find one single site within the plan allocated for sports facilities, pitches or village and community halls outside of the new garden communities. The provision of open spaces, sports and cultural facilities is vital to any healthy and thriving community and the needs of our existing communities must not be ignored. Objective 1D of the plan spatial objectives, one of the 10 key spatial objectives underpinning the plan, states that it is an objective, and I paraphrase, to protect and enhance existing local services by ensuring that new and enhanced infrastructure is provided to enable the needs of people to be met in relation to social, physical and green infrastructure, including open space, sport and cultural facilities. This is one of our key objectives. We don't currently have an up-to-date adopted sports strategy for our district. In fact, you are no doubt aware that a new sports strategy has only recently been commissioned with delivery not expected for around another year. In the absence of an up-to-date strategy, we must look to both the Sports Facilities Development Strategy of 2016 and the Open Space Sport Facility and Playing Pitch Strategy of 2012. Both studies looked at the current provision at that time and identified current need as well as forecasting future provision and future needs across the district. In both 2016 and 2012, current and future deficits in many areas were identified, not just of pitches, but of sports halls, a new swimming pool and numerous new village and community halls. We are now in 2018 and we know the situation has worsened. In Saffron Walden in particular, we've lost the facilities at Walden School and this has impacted on an already increased population. 
I've been working closely with many of the local sports clubs through my work on the Saffron Neighbourhood Plan. We know that many of the clubs are very successful, but have long waiting lists and outdated substandard facilities. In fact, 90% of the clubs canvassed in the 2016 study identified the shortage of facilities as being a problem. Many of the clubs are desperate for new facilities to provide disabled access and better changing facilities, particularly for their thriving junior and ladies teams. Ad hoc delivery of the odd new pitch here and there through Section 106 agreements is not what our communities need or deserve and have been proven in some cases to be difficult to deliver. The two new pitches at Lyme Avenue being one particularly frustrating example of how a developer has ignored their agreed obligations. More than two years after the occupation of the first house on the associated residential development site and we are still awaiting completion of the pitches to the agreed standard with no delivery date in sight. The 2016 study also comments that the high proportion of major built facilities on school sites limits access and means that the actual capacity to accommodate community use is much more limited. Plan policy INF2 encourages the delivery of facilities through existing schools and colleges. However, the sharing of facilities between schools and clubs often does not work in practice. A couple of school rugby pitches cannot cope with the demands of both the school and the local rugby club during the season. Further, the school cannot afford the amount of access nor offer the type of clubhouse required by a club of this nature. Dedicated facilities are needed and we should not, must not look to the schools to fulfil the gaps in provision. Both the 2016 and the 2012 studies conclude that in order to meet the current and future needs, we must identify entirely new sites for provision in appropriate locations. I have no doubt that the 2019 study will identify the same deficits, the same needs and draw the same conclusions, but I fear that without the allocation of the single most important resource, land, any recommendations will be undeliverable. We will be left with yet another commendably aspirational document, but the words will ultimately be empty. We all want a working plan for our future, but is it a working plan if it lacks the most basic of provisions vital to our communities? And it is because of that that I support um, the motion to defer. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Asker. Thank you, Madam Chair. I first moved to Saffron Walden over 30 years ago, about 34 years ago. Um, so I'm looking at this from a slightly different perspective, very much from a resident's perspective. Uh, in the first instance, I speak locally uh, of my own ward, Castle Ward and Saffron Walden. We've seen untold growth in a small area over the last couple of years, and it should be made very clear to the public at this point that the, the developments within Castle Ward were permitted several years ago prior to any real stand against the right development in the right place started to evolve. The current level of development will produce up to 1,000 extra vehicle movements every day, minimum. These developments are at Tudor Park, Lyme Avenue, Little Warden Road and at Ridgeons. Based on an average of two cars per household prior to any children coming of driving age, this is before including neighbouring developments uh, behind Tesco, opposite Tesco and the let's keep it under wraps even though it's been refused twice by the planning inspector, gear proposal. What part of no can possibly misinterpreted or be misunderstood? 
90% of the vehicles from these homes will egress Saffron Warden, a medieval town, through a few narrow one-way streets laid out long before the invention of the car. There is no ring road around Saffron Walden, and I cannot say, hand on heart, that a ring road is necessarily the answer. They have proven in other areas to invite further uh, development outside a natural development barrier. I've asked, over the last 12 years since becoming a councillor, why Essex County uh, County Council can't review a 20 mile an hour limit within the town centre, realistically for safety uh, reasons. There are some areas where we're very restricted on pedestrian walkways, but it's also to help reduce the increasing number of people who do speed along these streets at all hours. That's not just Saffron Walden, that's all the towns, the villages and the rural areas within the district. Why is it that Essex County Council will grant 20 mile an hour in some villages, but not in an ever-increasing town? That will go for other towns within the district. The ever-increasing population brings with it an ever-increasing volume of traffic that will bear a huge effect on the state of our already poor highways, for which we have to endure endless delays when repairs do take place and will significantly increase in the air pollution. These are responsibilities of Essex County Council, and so I'd like to know where the evidence of correlation with UDC and Essex uh, highways is. Likewise, with um, Highways England, with regard to the the state of the roads around the M11 uh, at Junction 8 with Stansted Airport. Richard Gilliard mentioned earlier about 25,000 extra vehicles on the road. Uh, Jenny Smith mentioned on potholes and cycling that is affected by the state of our roads. This is Essex County Council and I want to know if this has been taken as a serious part of our plan. It's all part and parcel of magic word infrastructure. Stansted Airport is the largest transport infrastructure in the district and as we all know the owner has filed a planning application to expand it to the size of Gatwick. But that will put an extra 36,000 cars onto the roads and the equivalent from 22,000 new homes according to Essex standards. That will actually represent, uh, create more traffic than one and a half local plans, including all the new towns. Large stretches of the M11 are already at capacity, as it's Junction 8, and there will obviously be significant impact on the railways too. Uh, there was a quote from a report which was dated May the 18th, and the quote says, existing transport links will reach stress levels of 90 to 100% uh, over the planned period, even without any additional development. So again, I wonder if how much has actually been given over to this. With this large uh, an impact, it's tantamount to negligence to be, for it to be silent on the standard expa- uh, expansion. The inspector will expect it to contain scenario planning at a minimum, particularly given the proximity of the proposed Eastern Park Newtown to the airport. Residents in Dunmo, Takeley and Stansted will expect their councillors to be leading the charge on this. As a parent, I am fully supportive of the development of homes for future generations, including that of my child. We were presented with a speech tonight from Juliet Fairhurst, who's talking very much about the next generation. Homes should be in the right place, with the right infrastructure, at the right price, that is truly affordable for the local community. Sadly, I see gaps that do not address issues uh, that my ward is concerned about, and for those reasons, I suggest and follow that this plan be deferred.
Councillor Hargreaves. Thank you, Chair. Um, I'm sure councillors will remember the failed uh, devolution plan, Greater Essex, which this council is involved with. I'm going to come back briefly to that because there's a parallel I want to to draw. Um, Housing numbers. A good plan must be built on good evidence. And the most important evidence, of course, is the number of houses that we need to build. So where actually did these housing numbers come from? It came from a market research company in Wales. Yes, obviously it uses national statistics, but the figure doesn't actually come directly from the government. And the market research report is 25 pages of impenetrable text. And the number it comes out with is inexplicably higher than for comparable authorities. Now, it looks as though to me that the report was probably done by one person. That person has a degree in metallurgy. He worked as a financial advisor and then an IT trainer. But I can actually see no evidence of any person writing that report who's got any directly relevant professional qualification. Now, um, I've been a director of a market research company and I'm a chartered accountant. When I first saw this report, um, it, it didn't look like a professional job. It's laid out so you cannot uh, double-check the calculations it doesn't have a clear, simple summary explaining the results. Of a complex report, you always have a plain English summary. Now, some of the text is really straight out of Yes Minister. I'll give you one example. It is evident that a number of household projections are already projecting future net migration at rates that are considerably higher than past trends. Therefore, given that the projections are already based on a substantial increase in migration rates, which provide alignment between future jobs and workers, any adjustment to the household projection-based estimate of housing need will require justification based on possible suppressed household formation (laughs) and associated average household sizes. That's just two sentences. So my experience is that people who write stuff like that are covering for not really having anything to say. Now, we've been um, querying numbers for nearly two years, and the leadership just refuses to seek answers. The response is always... Someone else, not themselves, thinks the figures are okay. And that someone else is never in the room to answer the questions. So when the figures don't look right, do we say, oh, it's all very complicated, so it must be fine? Or or do we ask questions? Now, um, councillors would have seen the recent emails from uh, accountant Mike Young and from myself revealing what looks like a visible error in the latest figures from the market research company causing an overstatement of over 2,000 houses, actually 2136. Now it gets worse, as we've heard last minute, having previously entirely ignored care home provision, 500 care home rooms have been added in. But these rooms have been included in the count as full-size <coughs> houses. Now that's just got to be wrong. Um, the uh, recent uh, e- email from the chief executive uh, yesterday still refers to these rooms as houses. So if we um, look at the, consider the extra 120 houses that were thrown in to round up the figures, it could well be this the plan number could be overstated by about 2,750, 2,750,0. Now, why did the Greater Essex plan fall apart? It fell apart because the numbers supporting it were, were just inflated fiction. And to an outside observer, it was obvious. 
but the great and the good would take men. Now, I don't want to take that as a severe criticism, because if you're in the middle of something, a hundred things to do, it's quite difficult to step back and think, oh, this time not right. But I think lessons need to be learned. Now, this plan is hugely ambitious, which should be applauded, but for a small council with a poor track record on the local plan, taking on the creation of three new settlements, it has no experience of doing that, no council has ever done it, it it's too ambitious. So, what should we do? Please, can we get the main figures professionally reviewed? If they are overstated, we can remove at least one of the new settlements and give ourselves a fighting chance of getting this through inspection and successfully implemented. We desperately need this thing to work. I urge have a, if we have a delay and get the numbers looked at again, just try and make the thing a little bit easier. It's a very difficult job. Let's try and make it easier for ourselves. Thank you. <laughs> Councillor Barker. Chairman, Chairman, um, I find myself in a very difficult situation here. Um, why would we defer this plan? Yes, we can look again at the numbers. Every time we've looked at the numbers, yes, they come out slightly different. What we do know, what we do know is that the government will ask somebody to intervene if we do not get this plan in shortly. They will ask them to intervene and they will use the standardised methodology numbers that are being put forward of 16,200. That will not take Braintree, west of Braintree. It will not take North Uttlesford. I have sat through, many people here have sat through countless cabinet meetings, countless PPWG meetings. Nobody has ever come better, come forward with a better plan. The RFU members, the Lib Dem members, they have all agreed with the officers' proposals that we move forward on this basis. Nobody has come better forward with a different proposal. Before we went to three garden community centres, I received week by week by week by week by week, by day, emails from residents. No to North Uttlesford, no to Eastern Lodge, no to Braintree. But actually somehow, when we went forward with three new garden settlements, the tap switched off. Actually people realised they were all in this together. They realised the scale of delivery that we've got to deliver. Because if we don't deliver it, if we don't deliver it, the plan will be taken out of our hands. Can I, can I ask the public to please be quiet? This is a meeting which we hold in public. It is not a public meeting. Okay. Um, our plan takes account, as it is, of the situation with Stansted as it is. That was why there were a lot of changes made to SP11 to reflect the situation as is. We have not yet considered planning applications, so to consider the full implication of the planning expansion at this point is inappropriate. It would be deemed inappropriate by the inspector to say, well, Stansted is going to be 43 million, isn't it? That is for a planning committee here to decide. It is not for us to assume in our local plan. Do I want Stansted to go to 43 million? No, I don't. They fly over my house. They keep me awake at night. They're big, heavy ones in the middle of the night, and there are umpteen Ryanair ones during the day. But that's not my decision. That's the decision of members of the planning committee on both sides of the House who received training and will consider that application in due course. So, you know, don't be put off by this. Deferring this for six months, it will not improve anything. Sure, as we, before we submit to the inspector, we can ask to have another look at the numbers. We can present new evidence to the inspector if we believe that those numbers are flawed. But that's not a good reason to defer the plan today. We do need to get on with this, members, and I would suggest that you... Uh, 
vote against this deferral. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Dean. This amendment is um, an attempt to avoid making difficult decisions, and I'll say more about that when we, when we get down to the, the main, uh, the original motion rather than the amendment. Um, most of the objections or points put forward by Councillor Lodge seem to be based on the letter that came out last week. Um, as soon as I received it on Friday, I did write uh, a fairly long email to the Chief Executive because I wanted to satisfy myself what, whether there were any problems relating to that. Um, and I'll just pick out a few points that I uh, elicited by a long discussion with one of our um, officers who is most involved in this matter, has been most involved in this matter for quite some time. The question arises of whether what I call east of Stebbing and other people call west of Braintree, whether uh, that will be thrown out uh, by Braintree. Number one, Braintree has no other alternative to put forward and therefore they will sort it out. Secondly, um, and, and therefore there is hardly any likelihood that the, so the west of Braintree from Braintree's side will, will disappear. Uh, I believe that the, that site has least constraints uh, as far as they're concerned. So I think the idea that a third of our local plan is likely to disintegrate is, is highly unlikely. Matter has been raised about the fact that the um, rapid transit system hasn't all been sorted out. Well, of course it hasn't all been sorted out because discussions are still going on with various parties, with uh, highways authorities, with um, Stansted Airport, uh, as well as the developers who put forward uh, money to carry out a study. Nobody's pretending it's sorted out. We've heard time and time again tonight that the DPD process is where we get down to detail. That will start in the summer uh, and will go on through the autumn. And I don't know when it's like when, the, for instance, a consultation is likely to take place on it. But the, the thing to remember is that this is not the, the plan before us tonight is not a detailed blueprint of exactly what will happen and anybody who makes out that it is, is, is misleading members of the public and, I, and I've heard a lot said about that it's, it's business that is, that is going on the, the point was raised about uh, or suggested that, um, that the North Essex authorities have got viability problems well they've certainly been told that they've got to do more work on it and I've no idea uh, what uh, what, what that will conclude but the point as far as we're concerned is that we are dealing one with land securities who purchased the land decades ago uh, I, I was involved in that in the 1980s when we threw it out first time so therefore there is great scope for land value capture in other words holding back the um, vast sums of money that many landowners get in order to invest in, in, structure, in, in infrastructure. So I, I, think it's, I think it's misleading to say that simply because Braintree, Colchester and um, Tendring have got to do more work on their viability uh, that we've got a, an unsurmountable problem and the point is we're, negotiations are already getting un, 
are not really getting, yet getting underway until this council actually makes a decision that, as to what it wants then those negotiations can't start because you know, it's a bit like Brexit, isn't it? You know, how do you go about uh, negotiations? Well, you, first of all, you need to know what you want. So we've got to decide what we want and then, then the negotiations can begin. So I'm sorry, these are just red herrings uh, to defer making a difficult decision. I'll say more about making def difficult decisions when we get back, when we get down to the, the main debate after this um, amendment, which I will oppose. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Foley and Councillor Anjum. Thank you. I say I've got five minutes. If you're pleased to know, I'm not going to take five minutes. At ten o'clock, I think we may all want to do a little bit of brevity as we go through uh, this evening. Not just for the sake of all the officers here, but and for the, the folk who have come along uh, tonight. So I'll be very brief. Um, I have. I'll bring it a bit closer. Can you hear me now? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so I've heard it say um, to me uh, tonight before coming along, this is all done and dusted tonight. They've got the votes and whatever anybody says, it's going to be voted through, the numbers are so. In a way, that's not the point. This is a good time to make markers. Whatever way you're going to vote, whatever we're... Uh, can agree or disagree on. I think it's very important to make markers. Within the group that I belong to, there's disagreement, and there will be uh, different feelings within all of the groups. But I think the main responsibility of a councillor is to listen to the residents, first and foremost. And after listening very carefully to my residents, I can tell you this, that I'm going to vote against this plan. I'm also going to vote for the amendment for deferral because I think there's lots more work to get. And I'll tell you just a couple of reasons uh, that are very close to me. <clears throat> One of the things that, are, that we're promised is affordable housing, which is great. And I hope Councillor Ralph, Ralph knows and Councillor Dean that I've been speaking to quite a lot about this understand that this is a very real concern to me. In the last... Uh, three week, uh, two weeks, I've had three families that I've uh, tried to help, and I'm sure other councillors have had this um, uh, you know, on a, quite a regular basis. In this, in this um, district, there are 1,000 people, on, uh, approximately between 950 and 1,000 at any given time, on the waiting list. That may equate to 2,500 families. Uh, <coughs> They have to, we have 2,800 council houses uh, to, to, to allocate in various other ways of what we call affordable housing. To me, affordable housing is housing that people can afford. And my experience in seeing some of the developments that have come up, certainly the people that have come to me in the last three weeks, has not been affordable. And I'm very pleased to see, say that, and I'll give all credit to Councillor Redfern, that I hear very good things. I know that people's hearts are in the right place of developing as where we can, but we've been very limited on what we can do in the past years. And the selling off of the, the council stock supply is, uh, you know, over the years has not helped. You know, that, that, that's a fact. It, in some ways, it's brought some good things. I, I appreciate that. It might have even helped social mobility. But... 
It has limited the um, amount of people that can be um, you know, housed at affordable price. To me, an affordable price is probably half the market rent. I'll say that categorically. That's what we charge our council house tenants on average. I think it's half, was it half? That's what I was told by the officer the other day when I asked on it. Half the market rent of today that's out there. Um, the new council houses would be more expensive. I, I, I understand that, but, they can't, that's, but whatever it is, if I could just uh, uh, finish, whatever it is, it's a lot cheaper than it would be on the market, and that's what I call a, an affordable, uh, aff affordable home. So I said I wouldn't take up the full time, but just one final thing. <laughs> I might have gone further than I. There is a national housing crisis, we're told, which us, Uttlesford must play its part. However, there are also a million brownfield sites in this country which the, which the government aren't getting to grips with that people could be building on. There is a growing number of retail sites, as uh, Councillor Rolf will know, we have both been involved in retail in one way or the other, which, which will come into brownfield usage. Many hundreds of thousands, they think, in terms of potential homes in the future. And I'd like to see the government, and I'm saying to the government, these things have to be addressed before we're building so many houses on greenfield sites. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councillor Anjum. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, environmental and health matters must be a core part of, or of our local plan. However, the effect on air quality, particularly traffic pollution of the plan, is not assessed. The plan has no environmental impact assessment for the extra traffic pollution which will be created by the new supplements and the further site allocations in our towns and villages. Yes, there are some instructions for developers and out-of-date documents for, from 2013, um, and specifically this, the following misleading sentence in the plan, which says that Saffron Walden has some road junctions where there's a risk that levels of nitrogen dioxide do not meet the national air quality objective. This is completely inaccurate. It's not merely a risk, it is a fact. The fully audited nitrogen dioxide levels have been illegal and dangerous in the centre of Saffron Walden every year since 2011, and it is getting worse. The traffic from the new settlement will come into Walden and straight into the illegal zone, and the new sites not yet finished will add further traffic. And yet still, we have in this plan another 150 houses, including four Saffron Walden, where almost every vehicle movement will go through the town centre. The problem is not just here. Um, following very high readings in Newport, UDC Environmental Health are, na are now installing monitors along uh, the B1383 through the village. Everywhere along that main road will have more traffic from every other development from new settlements right down to the smallest sites. We've heard um, already from a member of the public about the very serious effects of traffic pollution on our, on our health and the estimate of 40,000 premature deaths every year. Ignoring it and assuming that we may all be dri driving um, electric cars next year is just not good enough. Um, telling developers to produce remediation plans does not make sense as there virtually nothing effective they can do and we all know that most residents will drive um, in any, any case. Um, there is one air quality policy in the plan uh, which is policy EN16. The sustainability assessment for the plan makes this comment uh, against the policy 
uh, EN16. It says no mitigation measures or recommendations are proposed. So the plan, it seems, for the local plan is effect is to do nothing about the illegal air quality. Um, the positive bit is that we can do something. We need to stop and stop, look and remove from the plan those sites which will add most illegal pollution to the existing illegality. The NPPF paragraph 124 is clear that we must consider the cumulative impacts on air quality from individual sites in local areas. There is no point putting into uh, the plan a site which will fail the NPPF, uh, fail the Environmental Act and damage our health and that of our families. Um, there is also the issue um, of water. Uh, there is a water study in the, uh, in the plan. In the driest part of the country, it should really tell us where two and a half million tons a year of extra water will come from, but the study completely ignores the extra one million tons needed for the Stansted Airport expansion. Um, secondly, I'm sure we've all read the summary on page 45 of the study where it says, to meet the demand of the new developments, water will need to be brought into the catchment from the west. However, it doesn't specify who or what the west is, or whether the west has agreed to give us two and a half million tons of water. Maybe the west is building uh, lots of houses of its own. Um, it is totally um, unacceptable that the evidence document for the plan uh, for the most important element of life should entirely fail to show where the extra water is to come from. Um, that evidence must, uh, one of our few key principles is that the plan must follow the evidence. That evidence must uh, be sure to include a comprehensive air quality impact assessment and it must show where the extra water is come from. Uh, we all want a working plan for our future, however, as it stands, this plan, plan is likely to fail the inspection for lack of air quality assessment, lack of an explanation of how the plan fixes the illegality, and the lack of a, uh, a plan for water supplies. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Ranger. <coughs> Thank you, Chairman. Uh, members, um, essentially we're debating a deferment, but actually we are debating whether we say yes or no to the plan that's the proposals that Cabinet have made to Council. The, the recommendation came from the PPWG, which is a cross-party uh, group, um, and we need to understand where we are before we can actually make a, a, make a vote. Um, the PPWG recommended this plan to Cabinet, and Cabinet had forwarded it to full Council, for determination. So we are speaking to deferment but we are also speaking about a yes or no on the plan. So we are going to touch on some of the points that were raised by the public speakers and not necessarily by the deferment proposal. The plan should be ambitious. It is ambitious. It should be visionary. It is visionary. It will break all the moulds that we know about and accept in the estates we don't want to see continue to be built. This is not what we're about to do. We have a once in several generation opportunity to create something that we have never created before. The existing garden communities that have been built in the past, they have had shortcomings. They have been a relative success in their time. We've got the opportunity for something completely new. 
All of the deferment items seem to me to be, or the majority of them, seem to be something that we will take to heart as we work up the DPDs. And when we do that, we will be engaging with the local population. There will be workshops and focus groups. We will bring in community groups, the volunteer sector, the service providers, the statutory authorities. They will all be part of the shifting, the sifting of the work that goes into backing up the policies of DPDs. <clears throat> Remember, no planning consent is given before that DPD is enshrined in the proposal. So if we defer, we're actually saying no to the plan. We've heard that we have young people who are worried about where they sit in the, in the scheme of things. They'll be part of the engagement. So if you defer, you're actually setting back the programme and you are denying those young people the opportunity to be involved as of Monday with, with building the DPDs and the community involvement that that brings. The Chief Executive <coughs> outlined some of the risks that saying no to the plan brings. Deferment is exactly the same, the same risk. 16,000 homes. Now, you might want to know, members, that today, Uttlesford registered a scoping report request for 3,000 homes at Chelmer Mead. One of the sites that we considered, and that PPWG considered, and we considered in workshops, and we took it out of the equation. That will come swinging in the moment we, do, we say no to this plan or we defer from putting it out for consultation on Monday. So, understand where we are. We, we, Councillor Morris uh, is engaged in the sport provision and she's absolutely right. The sports provision on the scale that we need needs land. Well, the new swimming pool needs more land than most other things, if it's of the size that we really should be thinking about. So we don't own the land. We have to work with the developers who are putting forward the land. Certainly, uh, locally, um, new sports facilities uh, were refused. A planning application was thrown out by pressure, mainly from Saffron Warden members. And that has led to a deficit in some of the sports provision. So we've got an opportunity to put things right, but we can't put it right if we say no tonight. We're only putting off the evil day when we've got to say yes. The DPD work will stiffen up the, the, the policy and will provide us what the community will say should be in the new communities. Uh, Chairman, I will not be uh, voting in support of the deferment. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Redfern. Thank you, Chairman. I wasn't expecting to um, speak very much on this. I'm one of the members whose ward is most affected by this um, local plan. I have my own views on it, but to defer it is just putting off the inevitable. I would like to have the debate and work out are we going to support this Regulation 19 or not. 
And if it comes out that we're not, that's great for me. If it comes out that we are, then at least I, my community has some certainty about what we're planning to do and we can then decide what we are going to do when it comes to the inspector. As far as I can see, this is just deferring, um, just deferring things unnecessarily and leaving uncertainty for all those communities that are under this, under this threat. We can all hope that actually it will be our one that comes out and it's setting one action group against another action group. You know, I would, I would love to be the one that says, um, let's defer it and hope that it all goes away. It's not going to go away. But I would like my community to have some certainty about what is going to happen after today. And then we will know what battle or not battle we have got so, for me, I will not be supporting this amendment. Thank you. Councillor Gerard. Thank you. Madam Chairman, is it five minutes still as the seconder of the motion? The amendment, rather? No, you can... I can have time, yes. Thank you very much. Um, Madam Chairman, thank you. Uh, colleagues, uh, members of the public... Um, I almost found myself agreeing with Councillor Ranger there for a moment when he mentions uh, his first part of us having an opportunity. We certainly do have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity tonight to consider and plan a vision for homes and quality of life for the future of Uttlesford. I'm sure we're all familiar with the emotional definition of what makes a house a home. Well, as a chartered surveyor for over 30 years and a member of our planning committee, I'd like to suggest an alternative interpretation, one that anyone involved in planning might appreciate. I'd like to suggest that the difference between a house and a home is infrastructure and siting. When a house is surrounded by avenues and trees, safe roads, healthcare facilities perhaps, good schools with easy access, places to work, perhaps even shop. That house very quickly becomes a home. Like the Braintree Inspector, and indeed many of my fellow councillors here tonight, on all political sides, I believe that infrastructure is the defining characteristic of a good local plan. Not just in my Newport ward where my home is, but for all the towns and villages throughout Uttlesford. It doesn't make me a NIMBY to worry about the quality of my environment. It doesn't make me selfish to be concerned about capacity in our schools and surgeries, or the lack of jobs, or the impact of, of, of the air quality from increased traffic and the knock-on effect on our health. It makes me a concerned father, a concerned councillor, and a concerned citizen of Uttlesford. So it frustrates me when I see another councillor, for example our councillor for Chesterford, who consistently bats for her residents, but in this instance feels torn between her party that wants to see this plan go through and her residents who feel that the North Uttlesford Garden community is not well sited and lacks infrastructure. Every single one of us, all 39 district councillors round this table, has a duty and a responsibility to listen to our residents and represent their best interests. 
That's what we're elected to do. That's our job. On the same question, on the same basis, I question where is a representation from the councils in the south? Where were their voices when, for example, Eastern Park was identified as being a site for 10,000 houses? When have they listened to their residents and asked the right questions? I know what their residents feel. Those of us who do listen know that residents throughout Uttersford are nervous about this plan. This plan is almost a good plan. It's almost ready. I support the methodology. I applaud the effort and the repeated PPWG meetings and the constant debates. I applaud the fact that we've even considered Ebenezer Howard's garden community concept. It's a great concept. And if we implement it properly and openly, people will thank us. But this plan is not doing that. It's paying lip service to garden communities whilst telling you it's going to dump 14,000 houses on you. All under the pressure that if we don't pass this plan tonight, there'll be the threat of intervention from the government's bogeyman. And a number will rise to 16,000. A threat, by the way, that is simply not accurate. And as far as DPDs are concerned, Madam Chairman, you're asking us to take a leap of faith. In fact, you're asking us to sign off on a plan to plan. Because this clearly is not a plan. There is no clarity, merely vague assurances that DPDs will sort everything out sometime in the future. We stand here tonight being told, don't be concerned, trust us, we'll be alright on the night. Well, we won't. Because this is the night. Once we've signed off on this plan, there is no going back. No opportunity for residents to have any influence through us, their elected district councillors, in shaping our futures. Our democratic right is to do that tonight. This is the night when we cast our vote for a 15-year plan that will have ramifications for the next 100 years. That is why, Madam Chairman, I hereby formally request a recorded vote here tonight on both this amendment and the substantive motion in accordance with Rule 14.5. So, let me finish by saying this is a plan that has been recommended to us by a small group of just three people who pretend to have authority but who have not properly and openly engaged the ideas and evidence of the people who are most affected, those who pay council tax. Madam Chairman, fellow councillors, I implore you, we all want a working plan for the future of Uttersford. Going forward with a plan destined to fail is the worst possible option. We owe it to our children and our grandchildren to get the details right so we can be proud of any local plan they'll inherit from us. I hereby second the motion to defer. Thank you. Right, thank you. Um, Councillor Redfern has the right to reply and has asked for that. And then I'm going to Councillor Knight and then, then I, well, I will take Councillor Light and then I would like to take this to the vote.
Oh, oh, sorry, Councillor Sell. I think I'm entitled to speak as well. Speak as well. Likewise, Madam Chairman. <laughs> Councillor Redfern. Um, well, I have a voice of my own and I thank Councillor Gerard for speaking on my behalf, but I am perfectly capable of speaking for myself. I have agonised over this decision, over what to do over this. In fact, anyone, most of my residents who know me know that I spend my entire life on a diet and I can recommend not the F-plan diet, but the local plan diet because I have absolutely torn myself apart, you're quite correct about what is the right thing to do. But I don't need anyone else to speak on my behalf. I know what my residents think. I'm not under the whip. I'm not told what to do. I do what I think is the right thing. And I will continue to do that for the community that I represent. But I do think that being, being here in a situation where we haven't even reached the main item on the agenda at 10.30 at night is not fair to expect councillors to give their best and to debate this um, next part of the local plan at 10.30 in the evening when certainly some people have got more than a half an hour drive home and um, for me this is, this is just too much. Councillor Knight. Um, I will apologise if I'm all over the place because I wasn't actually going to speak. Um, uh, I had already told the leader my problems. I, I've not been fully convinced about this plan because I had reservations. But I am aware of the hard work and the difficult job it's been. Uh, and it's been a nightmare for all concerned. And so I felt morally right that I would abstain. Um, because there was no other choice. Uh, Councillor Lodge has put forward a, um, a choice uh, that I had not thought was going to be presented, which, and listening to what the residents have said, um, I have taken on board an awful lot of what they said, and so many spoke from the heart uh, that one has to take into consideration. This is something that is going to affect us um, considerably. We are being sort of, we are, um, what we are proposing here amounts to the largest housing growth of any um, district in the country. My arguments have been, why are we just rolling over to government? If it was me, I would be getting on to my MP. <laughs> And I would be saying, you're always talking about regenerating the north, then start regenerating the north because they want the housing there, they want the industry there. We are a rural area. We have for years been amongst the top three in one of the most desirable places to live. I've recently been told now we're down to 28. Um, what I'm concerned about, and I'm not a tree hugger, um, is that this is the breadbasket of the country, yet we plan to cover the area in concrete. There's a worldwide shortage of food predicted within the next decade. 
It's why the government's taking off the best before date to make us start getting too used to making things last longer. Um, we will not be able to pull the houses down we've built. That is prime agricultural land that will be lost forever. Could I please ask the public not to interrupt by clapping when the right. councillors are trying to bait a very important issue? Can I have a few extra t- minutes and seconds for that? Thank you. Um, right. Um, uh, I also, one of the areas was the water. I mean, I fell about when I got, uh, read the water situation. I have been told, so you will forgive me, I will be heavily on the deodorant and perfume because I've now been told I have to air my clothes for a few more lines so that I can wear them a bit longer to save on the water of washing. Wonderful. Yeah, so, so, I mean, you know, let's get some... So, I... Believes in here. There are, the government is bringing out a new figures in September, and I am convinced that they will be reduced. The numbers are definitely going to be lower. I am concerned. I have been looking up and reading. I read Mike Young's. I read all the arguments, and I think the figures are wrong, and I think they are lower. So, you know, this proposal, which I was unexpected, gives me what I'm asking for a little bit more time because. We're nearly there. It's been said about the cost of planning. We're talking about as if we're going to throw the plan out. We are nearly there, the plan. A huge amount of work's been done. It needs tweaking. There are holes in it. Even the people who prepared this plan have said that it's not perfect. I don't think it ever will be perfect, but I think we could get it near to perfect. And I, I don't see that we're throwing the baby out the bathwater just by deferring. I think we have a good plan there to build on if we take into account what our residents are saying, and that's what we're there for, and we all work together. I hate this party politics. We are all on here. I wish it was all worth us working together what is good for the community and stop the party politics. It's a horrible thing that we're all faced with, and I think that thing, but I don't like the sort of things like the government will take control. I don't know if any of you know a thing called Brexit, but I do think the government's rather tied up with that. When they take over things... It's normally dysfunctional uh, councils, and whilst many of you might think this is dysfunctional, it isn't. It's a hard-working council. I think that you have to say there are some big holes in it, and I would sincerely like us to work together, defer it. It's not a deferral of throwing it out and we've got to start all over again. It's sanity to get this right, because this is forever. Whatever we do now is forever because it's not going to change. Let us try and preserve the rural countryside and stop dumping things on the smaller villages and hamlets and, and make it prepare. I've had the greed, the gentleman who said about the greed of developers, oh boy was he right, and the farmers are making a meal out of this irrespective of where they're deciding to put numbers get from 25 50 75 in small villages it is wrong it is ruining the whole area and what we've all moved out here for and i would like to say a thank you when i spoke at cabinet that the cabinet um, actually came back and took a point my view and i would like to thank them for taking that into account thank you thank you uh, councillor light thank you chair Chair, Council and Residents, I'm going to be very brief and I mean it. Uh, We've heard many views on the local plan tonight and they were valid and they were heartfelt and I've made notes. More than 20 people spoke and I agree with what they said. We've also had some alt facts. 
We have had, <laughs> I won't go into any details, but let me paint a picture for you. We all want a place that we can call home, where our children can play safely, where they can walk to their local schools, where we don't have to wait at least four weeks to see a doctor. I'm painting you the picture of what is happening now. Just look at the opposites. Where there are places for generations to mingle, where we can breathe deeply of the clean, clear air of this beautiful countryside, where we are not suffocated by the streams and rivers of cars and lorries that will choke our roads if we go ahead with this plan as it is being proposed. I speak for many residents and I speak also for the young people. We had a, a long session with the County High last week where 50 young people attended and told us of their concerns and they were the same concerns, they were infrastructure, they were why don't you build on brownfield sites? They were, we need houses. And yes, they do. Because one day, those young people will be sitting here where we are now, and they will say, why? Why did you let this happen? And I have to echo Tina, uh, <coughs> Councillor Knight there. When we have concreted over our area, that is it. Council, we need a plan with a vision. A plan that respects and values our residents and our well-being above all else above the numbers that we are told we need, above greedy developers and landowners who want to fill their pockets, above weak statements that at some point some infrastructure will be built once a given number of houses have been built. And let's be quite clear, I doubt that the infrastructure on this plan will be put in first before the houses. We will be in that situation with the, no doctors, no schools, etc. that we all already know. So we need a plan that's right for our beautiful district and a plan that respects and enhances our environment, a plan that includes good infrastructure, that proposes building the right houses in the right places, a plan for our future, a plan we can all be proud of, a plan that is truly acceptable to us and can also be accepted by the government inspectors, by the government who is driving us to do this. Council. Residents, Chair, I have listened to the residents who spoke tonight and the plan proposed is not right, it is incomplete, it must be deferred and also I cannot, I cannot vote for a development plan that does not exist. So thank you, my vote will be for deferral. Thank you, uh, Councillor Sill. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Um, I, I read that the mammal which has the longest gestation period is the alpine salamander, which has apparently 42 months of internal growth. Well, that hasn't got anything on Uddleston's local plan, which is 12 years and counting. Councillor Gerard dismisses the prospect of government intervention. Obviously, he hasn't talked to the leader or chief executive of Castle Point Council where that is, along with two other local authorities, a very real prospect. I count myself fortunate to live most of my life in this district, as my family have lived in this district for several hundred years. And just a little bit of personal history, I grew up in the district, like many people, 
I went to London in my 20s, came back in my 30s, and I was fortunate at that time to be able to buy a property. 25 years later, 30 years later, I don't think that would have been a realistic proposition. I think that there are great dangers of deferring, and we've already been experiencing, to our cost, speculative property development. I have listened to residents. Um, the former high sheriff showed me around Eastern Park. I'm familiar with the rolling landscape of Chesterford, which I appreciate very much. Uh, I think there is a vision here, and I know that I believe that Councillor Rolfe has a genuine vision that he wants to see garden communities. And having looked at some communities, if it's done right, uh, I went round New Hall in Harlow a few months ago, uh, where it is a development which I was very impressed with, that every property was at minimum of 65 yards from a green space, 40% of the development was set out as uh, open space. Uh, I've also got personal experience of Trumpington Meadows, and my wife's nephew lives there. And Trumpington Meadows on the outskirts of Cambridge is being promoted by Grosvenor Developments. And having been several times at Trumpington Meadows, it it is a development which backs onto a nature reserve. And you wouldn't know from that development or come to it, uh, New Hall, which were affordable houses and which were not. They are totally integrated. And for both developments, there's a sense of space there, which I would only support the local plan if I generally thought this is what we were intending to do with the garden communities. And this is, I believe, that is the intention. It's up to councillors to make sure that this is held to. So it is with a degree of reluctance that I will not be supporting the amendment to defer because I think the costs are great by doing so. 12 years, I've got no indication from Councillor Lodge as to how long he expects officers to be working on these proposals. And there is that 12 years and counting. We owe it to the district to give some degree of certainty. I don't believe that having the development is something I take great pleasure in. I don't. But I realise that there is a need to have a local plan in place. Thank you. Thank you. Councillor Fairhurst. Thank you, Madam Chair, councillors and residents. I'll be as quick as I can be. I speak very fast, excuse that. But I speak tonight in favour of a working plan for our futures. I think we all agree here today, the one thing we all agree on is we all need a plan and a working plan. And this is the plan that will shape our homes we live in, the places we work and the lifestyles we offer our children and their children. It is a plan that future-proofs our villages, our towns and our district from speculative builders, opportunistic developers and all the evil talk we hear. And I agree with Councillor Ranger that we must be bold and we must be ambitious. 
So we find ourselves tonight, I truly believe this, on a threshold of the future. A once in a lifetime opportunity to protect our way of life. Incredible. So why the long faces? Why the discord? Why the passionate concern? Madam Chairman, I have a simple answer for that. It's the detail. You see, Madam Chair, what we voted for tonight is not a detailed plan with final numbers or, or detail about air quality, transport, or even about that pesky thing called Stansted, which may or may not be approved. It's a work in progress. And I, I, I understand that. We are, I'm advised, authoritatively, we're simply voting for, and I quote, a top-level plan. Not, we're assured, a statement in any detail of how it will be delivered or even if it's achievable. So, not the detail. Problem is, what if this pesky detail in the future shows a particular site is uh, unsustainable? Well, we all voted for it. You know how democracy works? You run with it. You've got to honour what the people say. And what if the detail shows severe risks to habitats and archaeology or worse, dangerous and rising levels of pollution? You guessed it. Democracy. You voted. That's what you wanted. It's ironic, really, and amusing to hear that one of our most experienced and respected councillors, an active and ardent supporter of a second referendum for Brexit, still champions this vote. Yes, free of detail. But that's democracy for you. What concerns me more, Madam Chair, is the spirit in which we vote tonight. As I said, I believe this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's so much pessimism, so much lack of trust. And to be honest, personally, this is for myself only, I blame the veiled and sometimes not so veiled threats. I don't like being bullied or intimidated. And I felt that about this plan. Project fear, if you like. I'm an African, don't take the threats. We've been told a number of times in the sternest tones, so it must be true, that if we don't vote yes tonight, we risk an intervention by the government. Yep, intervention. And if that's not bad enough, even if there's no intervention, we immediately risk our required numbers being shot up to 2,000 houses. Imagine that, 2,000 houses. Imagine the misery, the loss of face, the embarrassment. Being forced to build an extra 2,000 houses just for taking our time to agree on a decent plan for the next 15 years. But it's crunch time, you see, it's a serious. I should mention that last time we blinked, this the cabinet jumped the gun in October 2016. We were paused for about six months. But now it's serious. So, councillors, if we don't rush in and vote to meet the timetable, if we don't just vote, sweep our hands, with no regard to our own misgivings or, more importantly, for those of our residents, we risk, and I quote again, we risk losing control. I'll change the voice for effect. We lose, risk losing control of the process. I don't like threats. See, what is this real threat? The threat is the new revised NPPF, interesting name. It is basically saying this is how many houses are going to build from the government. What is not mentioned is it's in draft form. It hasn't even been adopted yet. And if you read it, there's no implementation date. So the clock hasn't stopped ticking. I notice the clock's ticking on mine for serious effect. And then there's a transitional program of six months in which to get our act together. And there are at least 15 other councils ahead of us in the queue. So that's the threat. But I'm going to rush ahead here and say the biggest threat, the biggest threat we face today is failure. It's being rejected. And goes through the whole cycle again, as Councillor Sell says. We risk putting this towards the inspectors and it gets rejected like it was four years ago. Don't we learn from history? That's the real risk. 
So I suggest if you really feel that this is the ideal plan for you, if this is the thing we stood up for, if this has taken 12 years and you think this is the best we can do, then go ahead. Vote against the deferral. But if you think it's not the best, if it's not the business, if it can be tweaked, and if something can be done, we can improve our process, do a, make an extra effort just so the people there can feel we've tried, then I'll ask you to support the deferral because this is our one chance to try again. Thank you. Councillor Freedom. Yes, thank you, Madam Chairman. I'm sorry to uh, prolong matters, but there we go. Um, my big concern is that the plan won't stop the um, ability of developers to cover Uttlesford in houses almost according to uh, their wish. The point being that if we don't maintain a five-year land supply, then anything that we turn down at the Planning Committee, and I serve on the Planning Committee, I see this all the time, is likely to be overturned on appeal. Uh, and on appeal, if you don't have a land supply, the appeal is successful pretty much every time. Now, I have personal experience of this, that along with uh, uh, Councillor Asker, my own ward, Castle Ward in Southern Warden, has one development which is sort of built out, and we've got three more coming on stream. And the amount of councillor time and officer time that's taken up trying to get the developers to deliver on their Section 106 agreements is absolutely massive. And this is a small council. We don't have the time or the energy or the resources to take developers to court. It really does take up an awful lot of time, and it shouldn't be doing that. So one of the things that needs to go into the pot for reconsideration is to do away with Section 106 and to have community infrastructure levies instead. These have the advantages. They're paid up front, not afterwards. They apply to all houses and not just the large estates, which is, generally speaking, a thing for Section 106. And one quarter of the proceeds goes straight to parish or town councils, provided that they have a neighbourhood plan. It is a much better system than Section 106. Section 106 enables developers to slide out of their obligations, and it's very hard to pull them back to, to, <coughs> to the original undertaking. And even if you do manage to get them to deliver, it's usually at a bargain basement type quality, nowhere near the sort of quality that we're looking for in terms of the quality of our sports fields and the quality of our children's playgrounds, for example. <coughs> the other problem is that if we don't maintain our five-year land supply, uh, then actually the lack of a land supply will simply wedge open the door which developers have used in Uttersford so successfully for so long. We really don't want that to happen. So very briefly, Madam Chairman, the things that we, I think we need to do, based on experience, is install community infrastructure levy rather than Section 106. That isn't mentioned at all in the draft local plan. We need to embed sports provisions, including the land uh, and the funding for them, rather than add it as an afterthought. We need to recalculate the housing numbers. There's various algorithms that enable you to do this. We've just gone with one, and the veracity of that number is questionable. We need to do it again, maybe change the consultants that we use. And also housing densities. The housing densities are the highest, in the, or the recommended housing densities, will be the highest in England of any rural or semi-rural area. Uh, they are levels that would have been totally unacceptable only a decade or so ago. So there's a number of issues that need to be addressed 
and hopefully can be addressed and will be addressed if we are able to go with uh, a deferment. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Councillor Chambers. Madam Chairman, I wasn't going to speak on this, but it is the hour is getting extremely late. Everybody's talking about the substantive motion and not the deferment. I am not in favour of a deferment. As Councillor Sell said, we've been discussing the local plan for 12 years. I thought it was 13 years, but it's an awful long time. So please, I, I would ask you not to defer. We have a very difficult decision to make this evening, all of us. But there are certain things, and Julie and I work very closely together on our patch, and there are certain things that we feel we need to do. And those things are roughly put in four principles, which Julie agrees with me. Firstly, when we were elected, we wanted to put back something into the community. Secondly, we wanted the community to have a better standard of living. Thirdly, to try to keep Uttlesford the most beautiful part of Essex. And fourthly, and most importantly, to represent the residents of our wards who elected us to the best of our ability. The proposal tonight does not adhere to those principles. We realise that there is a need for more houses, especially for the lower paid people. And this is what we at Uttlesford are already doing, albeit only in a small way. Creating three new settlements is, in our opinion, an overkill situation. To call them garden villages is a posh name. But in reality, North Uttlesford's settlement of a proposed 5,000 houses is a town bigger than Saffron Walden. A lot's been said this evening about infrastructure. One of the most important things is that if any of these settlements go ahead, the infrastructure, the road infrastructure, to stop construction traffic going through the major parts of our district is very important. There are lots of thing, other things too, which I know the leader says about things, but schools, medical centres, shops and more facilities. We need some of that infrastructure, some of it right up front, different to what it has been over the years. I think the leader would agree with me on that. So that is one of the things which we need to do. The impact on Saffron Walden would be enormous. Business improvement may be, and the young gentleman that spoke about that, yes, there might be more employment, but thousands more cars, higher air pollution, more gridlock. Is that what the medieval town of Saffron Walden wants? Julie and I have lived all our lives and feel passionately about the district and especially our own ward. We would like to thank all those people who have contacted us, emailed, written, whatever it was, hundreds of people putting their viewpoints forward. We have thought about it very carefully and we both agree that when the substantive motion comes up, should that be the way, we will vote against 
the proposals. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Lees. Sorry, Madam Chairman, because it is very late, and I do apologise, you've all been here for a long time. I, I know, I've, I haven't been a councillor for very long, but I have been watching the local plan since my daughter was 12, and she's now 23, and just finished university when I first came here, complaining, just like you, about a local plan. Um, so I get it, and, and coming in, I have seen the incredible work that you've all done, and, and been very, imp- very impressed by a lot of it. And I did actually vote on the PPWG to to recommend it to Cabinet. And I've listened to people today, and now I'm not too sure. Um, Councillor Foley mentioned affordable housing, which is, and I I know we all agree with that. And one of the things about it for me is I'm not too sure whether this plan really has it. Absolutely, and we may do it later. But we should be doing this already. We've been having planning committee meetings for years, and we should have been looking at affordable housing of what we're providing. You know, none of it is affordable. I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for 34 years. If I was nursing now, not a hope. What I'm going to say is, I'm not old enough, that's right. But, you know, one of the things is, just, just this week, I had an email from a young primary school teacher, and she said to me she's been trying for four years to get on the housing market. She's looked at it. Her mortgage is £133,000. That might just get her, what, half a toilet and half a bedroom? We know that that pay structure of the public service workers, and I'm going to talk about them because they, I know, they can't get on this housing ladder. And we have in the local plan new dwellings only available for purchase by qualifying first-time buyers, which is to be sold at the discount of 20% at the cap of £250,000. My girl's got a mortgage of £133,000. You know, I'm really sorry, because I have been impressed with the PPWG, but I just want affordable homes for people in this district. And when we say it's taken 12 years and it might take a bit longer, so what? So what if we take another couple of months? We need to get it right. And everybody here wants us to get it right. And if we don't get it right, there is no point in doing it. I'm sorry, I've got a bit cross. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> stand up. Why stand up? You must stand, please. Do I have to stand? You stand. You're just, just the chair. You can see it's my first time. Stand up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. My name's Gary LeCount. I've uh, been a businessman for about 50 years. I've listened to all the arguments tonight and I find them fascinating because basically we all want the same thing and I really actually want a good local plan and I want everybody to really vote for a good local plan. I was given some documents last Monday, Uh, they were about six inches thick, Um, that's 1500 pages, Uh, that's more than the Bible, Uh, more than war and peace. I've got to read it, understand it, and vote tonight on a local plan. The truth is, that's going to be really difficult. So the little time that John Lodge has put forward to say, let's have a little bit more time, it's got to be good. And I think that's what we should be doing. So I think, in essence, 
For my children, for my grandchildren, I'd say if it's a couple of months, three months, 12 years, it's a long time. But two or three months, I'd buy into two or three months. That's all I've got to say. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, if there's no one else wanting to speak, I will take this to the vote. Yeah. It's, uh, the vote is for the amendment, which is for a deferral, and the Chief Executive will reread so that we're all certain what. So, the amendment that you're voting on is that the Regulation 19 plan be deferred to rectify the shortcomings of the plan, including a viable financial plan for new communities, proper consideration of expansion at Stansted Airport a workable transport plan, a workable sports strategy, a scientific assessment of housing need, assurance of an adequate water supply and real affordable houses, including for key workers. Right, thank you. So we will go to the vote. It will be a recorded vote. Uh, if, if, uh, I'm going to ask members to indicate if they're voting for, against or abstaining on the motion. I'll read each member's name in turn on the amendment proposed by Councillor Lodge. So you're clear you're voting for Councillor Lodge's amendment, you're voting against it, or you're abstaining. When you indicate your vote, could you please switch on your microphone so that people can hear how you're voting? But can you also please remember, once you've indicated for, against, or abstained, can you please then switch it off? So we'll start with Councillor Anjum. For. Councillor Artis. Against deferment. Councillor Asker. For. Councillor G. Barker. Against. Councillor S. Barker. Against. Councillor Chambers. Against. Councillor Davy. Against. Councillor Davies. Against. Councillor Dean. Against. Councillor Fairhurst. For. Councillor Farthing. Against. Councillor Felton. Against. Councillor Foley. For. Councillor J. Freeman. Against. Councillor R. Freeman. For. Councillor Gerard. For. Councillor Goddard. Against. Councillor Gordon. Against. Councillor Hargreaves. For. Councillor Harris. Against. Councillor Hicks. Against. Councillor Howell has sent his apologies. Councillor Jones. Against. Councillor Knight. For. Councillor LeCount. For. Councillor Lees. For. Councillor Lemon. Against. Councillor Light. For. Councillor Lodge. For. Councillor Lachlan sent her apologies. Councillor Mills. Against. Councillor Morris. For. Councillor Oliver. Against. Councillor Ranger. Against. Councillor Redfern. Against. Councillor Rolfe. Against. Councillor Riles. Against. Councillor Sell. Against. Councillor Wells. Against. That's, uh, one, two, three. We'll, we'll, we'll tot up the numbers and let you have the uh, 
Right, so the votes were 24 against and 13 for, so the motion has fallen. And we return to the substantive motion, which has been proposed and seconded, and I now ask if anybody would like to speak to that. Uh, yes, Councillor Lodge, you do have the right to speak to this. Do you wish to speak to this? Um, I, will, uh, I will reserve my position for the moment, but I will speak later, yes. Right. Councillor Dean, do you wish to speak? Yes, thank you, Madam Chairman. This is a crunch council meeting. We either vote for the best plan on offer, noting that more work is still to be done and that no one has come up with a better one. Or, once again, Uttlesford District Council can bury its head in the sand and continue its quest for a perfect promised land that almost certainly does not exist. Whichever way each of us decides to vote, I hope that no one will lose sight of the following stark facts. The average cost of a home in Uttlesford is 11.7 times the average income of people working in the district. Today, couples need a joint income of £74,241 to purchase an average priced two-bedroom property in Uttlesford at £305,700. Our villagers are turning into ghettos of well-heeled people. Our children and grandchildren are being denied their own decent homes because demand is far outstripping supply. I'm fine. I have a house and no mortgage. I bet most older people in this room tonight are comfortably settled in their homes. I paid £6,800 for my first three-bedroom home in Stansted. I think that was something like two and a half times my income at the time. My grandchildren haven't a hope in hell of following my and my wife's progress through life unless there is radical action. So for those who say, yes, I recognise that there is a housing shortage, but it doesn't exist and shouldn't be solved on my doorstep, I say, face the facts and think of the younger generation and others less fortunate, please. The search for perfection, which we've heard a lot about tonight, and the avoidance of responsibility at Uddlesford District Council has taken various forms in the past, and I'm going to do a bit of history. In 2006, there was an administration, a Liberal Democrat one, that put off hard choices at the start of preparing this plan until a later date. In 2007, a new administration, then a Conservative one, chose an approach that was undeliverable. It took a further seven years and many an itch and twitch in between for the infamous Helsinham finally to be ditched. The Council wavered, as it you know, seems to have a habit of doing it, wavered from totally distributed answers for homes to a single new settlement, 
back to total distribution amongst most towns and villages, then back to a single inaccessible new town, and now finally it chose three, or I hope it chooses, chooses three new settlements and some lesser continued growth in certain towns and villages. The council went through a stage of denial that people don't move to Uttlesford from different pla distant places. No immigration data, so all immigration data, in-migration data was ignored. New people always have and they always will come to live here short of a major economic collapse which no one wants. Throughout the past 12 years of dithering, growth has continued. Sadly, much of, us have been th much of this has been thrust upon us because of the absence of an up-to-date local plan. Take Elson, which has had hundreds of homes approved without even a hint of a master plan and any joined-up planning. The growing traffic chaos that is inflicted in Stansted on my community is rotten, simply rotten. It's mainly because there was no up-to-date local plan and lots of ad hoc approvals. I would like to dismiss rival party politics in this current debate, if possible. I read on Facebook at the weekend that non-conservative councillors should try their damnedest to, to vote down the local plan because it's a conservative party plan from a conservative administration. Well, let me put such ideological nonsense to rest. There is already enough ideology and too little pragmatism at Westminster for my liking. I spent seven years from September 2007 fighting the Conservatives of this council for choosing a new out of the blue settlement between Elsom and Henham. Excuse me, but the group leaders are allowed a limit, unlimited time. Because it's just set, it just goes. Is not to interrupt. Thank you. I have spent seven years from September 2007 fighting the Conservatives with this council for choosing a new out of the blue settlement between Elsom and Henham. It was dumped by the council at the end of 2014 by a planning inspector who agreed with me and my colleagues that Helsenham was and is still a poorly accessible place by road. That is the past. Since then, Councillor Janice Lachlan, who is on holiday today, and I have been working alongside Conservatives and residents for Uttlesford councillors with our planning officers to come up with a credible plan. We have worked well together. There has been minimal party political game playing. There has been some posturing and some necessary challenge along the way. I'm all in favour of challenge and scrutiny and long may it continue. We all surely know that the sooner we finalise a sensible and credible plan, the less chance that local planning will be taken out of the control of the hands of this council by central government and we will be able to avoid an immediate hike in annual housing numbers to fall in line with central government's latest and much higher housing number formula. That could happen within weeks if we bottle it tonight. The floodgates would almost certainly be opened by speculative applications across the district from large towns to small 
and villages as developers are allowed to fill the vacuum. This is not a threat, either on my part or the Chief Executive's part or anybody else's part. It is a reality that Uttlesford has already experienced, but probably not yet suffered to the degree that will probably be seen over the next five years if we get it wrong tonight. I'm not prepared to behave irresponsibly, to score populist, short-lived party political points and grab news newspaper headlines. Those headlines would soon turn sour as the situation backfired on all the people on all the people of this delightful district. So I urge fellow members to stick with the real world we live in and to confront some of the myths. I have had a robust exchange of correspondence only today with one of the garden settlement campaign groups. I referred a little bit to it earlier. We have just agreed, that's he and I, have just agreed to meet in July to discuss our differences of opinion. It has been argued that this local plan sets a housing target that is too high. Only last weekend it was being suggested that the totals over the 21-year period should be dropped by around 2,500. But we know that the government's new methodology for calculating future housing based on addressing housing unaffordability would push up our requirement by about the same amount from proposed levels. So immediately there will be a deficit of 45,000 homes that would render the plan unsound. We know we, could, we would be gifted the higher total if we bottle out of agreeing this local plan tonight. I can see no credible logic in fiddling down the numbers in such circumstances. Of course to do so will be a gift to any developer, we heard one tonight, who is eager to do his own thing without the local plan. There is still much more, sorry, there's still more than a year to go to the adoption of the local plan. A, a perverse decision now to drop the housing numbers in the face of an eventual likely increase will be an act of recklessness that the electorate would not like at all when the penny dropped, as sure it would. We wouldn't save or eliminate a garden settlement it would make more likely that we would end up with three substandard new settlements and lots more unplanned development in most of our towns and villages. There, is much, there will be less likelihood that the highest garden settlement principles that they are achieved because promoters and landowners will be able to exploit the confusion to water down these principles such as a requirement to build schools and other infrastructure for when the residents arrive, and we've heard much about that this evening. It will be like the old days, people first, infrastructure later, if we are partially lucky. The plan before us today is a vast improvement on what UDC tried to get through and inspect at the end of 2014. I want to take this opportunity to thank all officers and advisers, consultants, councillors and members of the public, yes, the public have helped a lot already for bringing it to this point of decision. In recent weeks, the policy on Stansted Airport has been strengthened at my request. It now commits the council to resisting any relaxation of controls on night flights. A statement about developments being in accordance with the latest throughput permission has been reinserted. Other improvements address public transport access for non-aviation users, especially users by local people. 
statements on climate change emissions by aircraft are more explicit. Protections needed for the amenity of local residents and the environment have been bolstered. And in particular, we put a, a, a requirement on the airport to demand from its, uh, its aviation companies uh, fleet modernisation. The policies on all the garden communities have been improved by district and parish councillors' involvement. I expect further improvements at the more detailed development plan stage beginning soon. And let's not forget that that is where we get down to the real detail, not tonight, not at this stage. This is top level. I know that my Liberal Democrat colleagues will continue to press in all planning areas for measures that ensure real sustainability and for delivery of policies that protect our precious local environment. And I'm sure that all political groups will agree. Speaking personally, I want to see more effort put into addressing local road congestion. It's been mentioned, like many people, I'm fed up with road congestion. Um, problems in my own ward, the B1383. I know that the local plan addresses traffic problems in the north that come south, but I, I, I hope that further work will be done uh, after this plan gets underway. Change always has its downsides, as I say. And I have to say, sorry, and as I say, so does refusal to change. If at the same time as change takes place, we demand that local features of value are enhanced, we just might, no, rather we can ensure a future district that we can be proud of. I started by talking about the need for more housing. I will end with some thoughts on housing that is more, that is more affordable and available than now for local people, especially to rent and shared ownership. I'm not alone in wanting community-led housing created in this district. My Lib, De Lib Dem colleagues demand it. Tory and RFU councillors also are also passionate. Community land trusts are springing up across the country. Crucially, right-to-buy legislation on council housing can be avoided. These community land trusts own land and, and approved that are approved for local people, and that would likely include local workers who presently live miles away from here. If through negotiation with the promoters of the garden settlements, the trusts acquire land at zero trust, uh, sorry, at zero cost or near zero cost, the prices, including rents at levels well below market levels, should be achievable. And therefore, that is something that we all want to aim for and something that we can aim for if we agree this plan tonight. If we don't, we might lose the opportunity. An all-party work, working group under the Council's scrutiny banner is presently working up requirements that will help define in more detail what the local plan demands actually means for 40, in, in saying 40% affordable housing uh, and what it will mean in detail. We know a so-called affordable rent at 70% of full market level rents still means that many people are left with too little money for the other needs of life besides a roof and a bed. A report on this work is expected in September. Members of all parties are working on that. The outcome will be detailed, <coughs> will, will feed into the garden community negotiations so we have a way forward on that very important subject 
So, Madam Chairman, I, I urge my fellow councillors to vote for the draft plan tonight so that Huddlesford can get on with the job without further delay. Thank you. Madam Chairman, point of order, please. Could we please move forward to the motion and vote, or will you please promise us all breakfast? <laughs> can't promise breakfast, but I'll do the best, as, best I can. Um, Councillor Goddard, you're next. Chairman, point of order. I understand that a motion to actually put the um, matter for consideration to the vote should be responded to straight away. I would actually say that only one person has spoken and there are several people wanting to speak so, um, and also the seconder hasn't spoken yet so I think we should just allow a little bit more time for the people to speak. On a point of order, Chairman, that isn't what the Constitution says. Well, uh, yeah... I, as I'm advised, it's, it's about whether we consider it's been adequately discussed, and I don't consider that we've had an adequate discussion on the motion. So I would like just to allow a few more people to speak before we go to the vote. Councillor Goddard. Uh, thank you, Chair. I think I, um, I'm the first person to say... Thank you very much to all the residents who have come here tonight. Uh, I don't think anyone has actually said thank you to people. No. No, people have not said thank you very much and actually listened to what people have said. And councillors are responsible to the residents who they represent. And so it's very, I was very glad to hear so many of those comments. What I would say is that you have seen over the last two and a half hours, and it has been two and a half hours since the last resident spoke, Madam Chairman, and there is no better metaphor for the local plan in these last two and a half hours. This is, this is how the council operates and how things are done so very, very slowly in this place and what makes it so difficult for obviously the councillors who then have to come to a decision and, and vote on whether they are for or against the amendment, uh, the motion. What I will say is when I wrote this little speech, that was two and a half hours ago when, the, when this was proposed and then obviously we had the amendment that took us here, there and everywhere for the last two and a half hours. Um, so what I did want to say is that what I worry is I heard from a few of the residents about development corporations to handle with the building of new houses in our beautiful rural district. A development corporation is a quango and can only be set up by national government in Westminster. They cannot be controlled locally. 
If we do not approve a local plan, residents will have no say on house building in Uttlesford and we face an onslaught of development they'll impose on us by a faceless quango in London. That is not point what of order, Madam Chairman. Can I make a point of order, please? Uh, Councillor Goddard is completely wrong in that assertion. The development corporations will have an oversight authority which will be part of this district council. Sorry, they Councillor will be formed of members who uh, are Lodge, from the local the right community. You are wrong in your so assertion. You reserve it till then. Thank you. I'm sorry, that, that is not correct. Please, yeah. you have time before you're going to speak. Councillor so Goddard, quick could I search. ask you to continue with your... Yes, a, a quick Google search will show that development corporations are exactly that. They are set up at national level and they can only be set up in Westminster. They also only concern urban areas. They do not concern rural areas. Please, you can find this on Wikipedia. <laughs> It's, it's, quite, it's quite simple. Please look it up before you, before you say points of order that are quite simply not true. But what I, I wanted to go back to was about listening to residents. And I'm certainly, I certainly haven't been told how to vote. There's been no whip or anything like that, for, certainly for me. And I feel the same as Councillor Knight and will be listening to the residents, my residents, for... Stanton South and Birchhanger who have got in touch with me over the local plan. But to go back to the residents' comments two and a half hours ago, I wanted to single out Ms Fairhurst, who, I'm sorry to say, but uh, sorry to single you out, but you spoke very, very well. And if councillors vote for the local plan tonight, it will move forward to a consultation. You will then have a say within a week Anyone voting against is voting against you having your say. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you. Councillor Harris. Uh, thank you. Um, I, I think I speak in slightly more layman's terms than most of my fellow councillors. Um, I speak in favour of the motion. I represent Flitch Green and Little Dunmo. Um, the vast majority of my ward being a new housing development of Flitch Green, which now has just over a thousand houses. Uh, I say new, the first homes were actually inhabited in 2001, and last year, after over 15 years, our community facilities were finally established. 15 years. So there are a few of us in this room, um, but I know that I speak from personal first-hand experience when I say I know what it's like to live in a community that has been developed by appeal and without a plan. We'd been held hostage by a fickle and unscrupulous developer. Our whole community was tormented with a whole generation of children and residents who had no facilities whatsoever and we were subjected to planning application changes, not being able to proceed with legal proceedings because planning applications were submitted, um, ultimately a high court case um, in order to get our community completed and to get even a school, a shop, we still don't have a doctor's surgery for all of those homes. The first tranche of 700 homes only had 20 affordable homes. That's less than 5%. And that's the reality of living without a plan. So I know this is frustrating. I know that this plan 
is not perfect, and I know that there's still a huge amount of work to be done, but I have lived first-hand with living in a community that does not have a plan in place. And my community is now at risk of a developer like Chelmer Mead poking its head above the parapet again for 3,000 houses. And this is not a decision about being whipped. This is a decision about my community not going through another 15 years of hell without those facilities. And all of you could be faced with that same kind of hell without having a plan in place. Thank you. Thank you. Um, as there doesn't appear to be... Oh, Councillor Davies. Thank you. Uh, it's good that we move to the nub of the evening and the, the purpose for, for all of us being here. I, for the sake of repetition, I had this prepared before the evening, but I did want to let people have their say. Uh, so please uh, indulge me for 4 minutes 48 seconds. Um, as we consider the Regulation 19 pre-submission draft local plan this evening, I wanted to take the opportunity to speak on the process which has brought us all to this point. And, and I say all because it's all of us as district councillors, it's not just the ones who sit on the PPWG. Both officers and councillors and public consultations have taken a very long time with this plan up until this point. Cross-party planning policy working group has followed its mantra of leaving no stone unturned and has rigorously reviewed and approved thousands of pages of documents. Now, one of the things I will say is that it's a cross-party group. Um, there's been more challenge and consternation in this meeting this evening than there's been by people in all of the planning policy working group meetings up until this point. And I have the pleasure of Councillor Lodge and Councillor Lee's attendance at the PPWG. Um, feels a slightly different vibe in the room this evening um, than we've seen at the PPWG meetings. The Council's planning team has a number of dedicated staff who've worked for hundreds of hours to undertake both the quantitative and qualitative work required to deliver the evidence base to bring the local plan forward to government within the necessary timescales. Delivering the required housing numbers set out for the district is never going to be a straightforward process and it's not a done deal this evening. And at times the location of allocation will be a cause of um, a contentious nature. In Dunmo, this will mean taking on a larger, potentially mean taking on a larger allocation of houses that many of us don't want. But this is, of course, not a position that's unique to us, and I feel that the only winner this evening is probably my babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> However, we have followed the process which delivers us with the current position this evening, which is as good as we would achieve and within the timescales we're required to submit the plan. Given the very material adverse penalties for not following our course and delivering on our plan on time, including considerable financial costs to the Council involved in replication and further work needed, and the risks of having this plan decision taken entirely out of our hands, which also means, as Councillor Harris will see, infrastructure needed to set out within a community just simply will not be delivered if we do not have the choice and the control ourselves. So we'll get no houses, no schools, medical facilities and community play spaces and more houses. It's a fact. Somebody recently said that Britain has had enough of experts. I don't agree with this sentiment. We have experts across all aspects of this local plan activity. We have inspectors who have come and visited us to keep us on the straight and narrow with the plan work that we've been undertaking. Fifteen councils who have been subject of an intervention due to their failure to bring forward a local plan, I don't think they sleep particularly well in their beds around the work that's required by them. Government will do unto them. It's not a choice, it's not an option, it's not a white paper. So on the basis of all of the above, and after approval by both the Planning Policy Working Group and Cabinet, this is what we now have placed before us this evening, and possibly tomorrow morning. 
and I will support the recommendation. Thank you. Um, Councillor Ranger. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, just a quick point for um, clarification, please. Um, Councillor Dr Richard Freeman mentioned SIL. Um, the ability for the Council to um, enact a SIL levy um, is in the plan documents, um, but I think I would like the officers to clarify how SIL is distributed because I think there may have been some misleading information. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Councillor Lodge. Thank oh, you, Madam Chair. I beg your pardon. Um, I'm sorry. I will... I'm sorry, Councillor Lodge. There's been a, been a request for. Councillor Ranger asked some clarification on what said is. Thank you, Chair. Um, Councilman Rangers, right? Uh, policy INF 1 has a reference to SIL, and the Council may consider introducing it at some point in the future. Um, the way SIL works is it is a levy on all developments um, in the district, so as Councillor Freeman mentions, that would be right down to, the, to a single dwelling and up to a to whatever limit the council decided on through, the, um, through determining a SIL process, in determining a SIL, sorry. Um, I don't want to talk, <laughs> I don't want to prejudice too, too much um, any work that the council would do on the SIL um, in, in advance of actually completing that work. Um, there was a report back in 2015, I believe, that went to PBWG, which at that point recommended that SIL would not be a, um, uh, a viable prospect in the district, but that is something that we will look at again. Sorry, Chairman, if I can come back. That's not the question I asked. The question I asked was, how is SIL distributed? How does the system work? Because I think there's where um, we may have been slightly at odds with what happens with the amount of money. I think the question is directed to whether or not um, a local council with a neighbourhood plan gets top slice of sill, uh, and that is the case, it's 25% top slice of sill. But um, otherwise, the, 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 the majority of the, uh, of the, uh, of the funds uh, which are collected uh, through SIL are uh, allocated to provide the infrastructure which is required to, to support these, the scale of development which has been planned for. Um, so if I can move on from that point, I do need to give some clarification about uh, some of the remarks members have made about locally led development corporations. Um, they are controlled, well, whilst they are set up by the Secretary of State, they are uh, accountable to an oversight authority, uh, which in a, a county area like Essex would be the relevant district council or district councils and the, the county council. Um, there was a suggestion that um, development corporations can only be uh, created in urban areas. I think that must have been a reference to urban development corporations such as Ebbsfleet. I think Epsom is probably the only urban development corporation, actually. 
Um, and I don't think there's any intention that locally-led development corporations would be constrained in any way in terms of where the Secretary of State might be prepared to create them. So I hope those points of clarification are helpful. Councillor Lodge. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'll still be very brief. I Councillor Lodge has unlimited time, just for anybody who's wondering. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be really, really brief, um, may, mainly because um, I, I, um, I put forward most of, most of my proposals in, in the early budget, so I don't, I don't propose to, uh, to, re to repeat any of that. Um, I was uh, grateful, though, for the clarification uh, just, just a moment ago there, um, and um, I did particularly invest uh, around three full days of my life attending conferences and presentations from the Town and Country Planning Association, so I didn't just look at Wikipedia, and I do know that they can give local control. Um, having said that, I really want this plan to work, but approving it today is not the best and fastest way to get it done. Um, I was generous to this plan in thinking that it would just simply get rejected by the planning inspector. However, uh, one very knowledgeable voice came through from, from the public this week, uh, tonight rather, and this was our self-styled greedy developer. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure he isn't a, a greedy developer, uh, but he is a developer. And uh, you may remember that what he said was that the plan will actually be rejected on day one. We could break the record of the last time we submitted a plan. That actually went into the second week before it got rejected. Um, the consensus there is it will probably get rejected on day one. What will then happen is that we will be even further behind. That plan will go to the inspector probably early in the next year for that session. We'll be back at square one. And overall, we will be slower than had we deferred the plan tonight. So what I'm proposing is that we do reject the plan now. That will still give us a chance to look at it further, to amend it, to get it right before we foul, fall foul of any interference from government. So we've missed the deferral opportunity. We can still turn it down and we can still get it right and we can still get the best plan in the earliest possible time. I urge you to reject it. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Light. Oh, you do. Anybody else? Yeah. So, uh, uh, so I'll uh, second, if I may, but I, I too will be brief. I think I'm on about the fourth iteration of what I was originally going to say. Um, uh, so much has been said, and I'll try desperately not to repeat it. Um, just on, on that last point, uh, rejected on day one, there's absolutely no evidence uh, around that. I've already mentioned the fact that we've had two inspectors' visits, um, and we would have had a very clear steer if there'd been a substantive problem. And the second thing is that the government has, has, has significantly significantly changed the way it responds to these inspections and I think uh, the North Ettlesford Essex example is a good one. Uh, it, it wasn't rejection, it was about going uh, back to get more information. So um, just rewinding slightly, um, I think we collectively agreed on a spatial strategy that for all the reasons that we've heard most of tonight that just continually developing on existing settlements just compounds problems and I'll, I'll come back very briefly to some of those. So, so we collectively agreed uh, that we would start new, new communities um, and that is the process that we went through. Uh, but I've referred to garden communities, garden cities um, uh, uh, and this, this seriously is not 
idle chatter. Um, the, the developers concerned are crystal clear on this point and, and linking back to the DPD process. Uh, all the concerns that uh, people have, or at least uh, the, the majority of the concerns that people have, uh, will, will, will be developed that, that way. Um, and, and, and I think it's um, I- important uh, to uh, recognise in terms of what, what has actually happened through the process. So we did Regulation 18, uh, 2,000 people responded, um, including some of the uh, areas that were referred to this evening around water and sport. Uh, all, all of that has been addressed um, and, um, and, and clearly a plan co- cannot go ahead, would not be able to go ahead if there wasn't a sufficient water supply. We take the point uh, about uh, Councillor Morris about sport. We, we're As Councillor Ranger said, we're absolutely behind you on that. We want uh, full full sports facilities. So we we listened very carefully to that. Uh, We listened, uh, obviously, to the points that have been raised around uh, the new settlements and uh, some very important adjustments were made to SP7, for example, uh, and SP6 and 5 as well. And we listened very carefully to Stansted uh, and SP11 was changed. Uh, We then further listened at uh, Cabinet and Planning Policy Working Group and a number of the smaller sites were taken out. So, uh, you know, we have tried very hard to continually work with, but at the end of the day, the houses have to go somewhere. And we could take out all three of these new uh, communities uh, and put in three more, and we'd have exactly the same meeting in 12 months' time uh, with the residents of those local communities. So uh, we we appreciate uh, the concern. You know, I I won't belabor the point. I live in Great Chesterford. I know exactly what the feeling is. Uh, but uh, we have got to uh, produce a plan in the best possible way. And um, just, to, just some of the points, I, I, I just want to touch briefly on numbers. Because don't forget, the, the government does not now want to wait until 2033. That used to be the old model, and it came through in great big lumps. It doesn't work like that anymore. There will be another revision in five years' time, by which time the government's new methodology will be in place. So... Um, we're working on the current information, working accurately on that current information, but do bear in mind what the government's figures calculate, which is 16,200. So I don't think the number thing should be a substantive point. I think if we get away with 14, we'll have done jolly well, quite honestly. A lot of reference around infrastructure and am I going to have a school... It's, it's, it's a fundamental point of garden communities. The school will be there at the right time. The roads will absolutely be there in the right time. It's not just the roads within the community. It's, all these new settlements are very close to main arterial routes. The connectivity with those arterial routes must be absolutely right. In the case of um, um, Eastern and west of Braintree, clearly the connectivity down the A120 or the pressure on Junction 8, we, ought, we would take uh, uh, all of that factored in, combined obviously with a potential expansion at Stansted Airport, but the point has already been made, that is, that is a separate planning application. So all the points about infrastructure, that is, the, that is one of the reasons why the, uh, at, uh, the hearing has been delayed, because Essex County Council the, and, and Highways England, the primary uh, um, uh, highway and infrastructure authorities, are not satisfied with the evidence so far. So all of these things will be carefully taken into account. Um, 
Community infrastructure uh, levy, yeah, absolutely, Councillor Freeman. If, if it's the right thing to do, we'll do that. We're not, we were advised uh, a number of years ago that it was the wrong thing at the time. I think it was good advice, but it might be the right thing. It might not be the right thing universally, but it, 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 would be, um, it could well be in certain places. Um, points were raised around um, affordable housing. I don't know how many times we have to say this. We, we are a very good council. Uh, we, we commit to 40% uh, the most of the time. Uh, we have both affordable and social housing. The opportunity in the new communities to, pro to produce housing, because I take the point, 80% of market rate is still expensive for other people. So, but we have now have the opportunity to go below that in the garden communities. That is the whole point. The whole, the whole emphasis on community uh, will be brought through, and, uh, which is why I, I think the spatial strategy was right to focus the balance of our 6,000 houses uh, in, in, in new, new settlements that we can drive through. Development corporations, if we have to, we will. But the key point is, will the developer uh, deliver to the garden community principles? They say they will. They've written to us that they will. They, they talk the talk. If they don't, then of course we'll look at development corporations because as a, you know, we will back our commitment to garden communities right to the very end. So I think uh, air quality, absolutely. This is, this is a serious concern. Now, there's an awful lot of sustainable transport that will go into the new garden communities. So that will reduce air, uh, the problem of air qualities around those settlements. It doesn't help existing settlements. Uh, oh, that we could have got some kind of link road in Saffron Walden, but that's another discussion for another day. Uh, but the, the administration here is totally committed to improving our air quality. Uh, we understand the problem and uh, we, we will work. So I don't think there's any pushback on that. Carver Barracks, uh, my final point. Um, the Army have indicated that they won't be leaving until 2031. Uh, so if we put forward Carver Barracks, the inspector would reject it because there would be no development within the planned period. So overall... Um, there will, if you're trying to place 6,000 houses, you're never going to satisfy everybody and there will always be pockets of opposition and we fully appreciate that. All we can do, and I hope we've demonstrated, is to work very carefully with a very open ear to those communities on the basis that we have to deliver a plan, that housing has to go somewhere, the DPD process will drive that. And I will, my personal commitment, and I hope I've demonstrated that with, with all that we've set up in terms of cross-party transparent uh, bodies, that we will absolutely work in partnership with those local communities. You don't want the settlement, but you know, some good will come out um, in terms of some of the facilities that are there um, and some of the open space and recreational space, you know, excellent new primary care facilities. So overall, uh, as Councillor Dean said, this is an important night. Um, and if we reject uh, the proposal uh, this evening, we put ourselves back uh, 12 months and uh, all that goes with that, uh, which I think... I don't believe the residents of Uttlesford overall, I understand the individuals that are here tonight, I don't believe the residents of Uttlesford would thank you for that. They've waited long enough. They need some degree of security. They want to move on. I propose the motion. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, now, before we go to the vote, um, Councillor Balker, did you want to sum up? Um, I 
no. after <laughs> Councillor Dean's epic efforts and Councillor Rolfe's efforts, um, not much more to say, Chairman. Um, failing to plan is planning to fail. We need a plan. We know that no, popular, no plan is going to be popular with the public when it affects the area where they live. And this plan affects every single person in this chamber. I can't live in the roadings and believe that Gilston Newtown and you know, changes to Junction 7A aren't going to affect the way the traffic moves through my area. Um, I know people can't afford houses. Um, I went to a duty to cooperate meeting last night, wonderful document here, part produced by one of our officers here, about community-led housing, about how we can develop this at no more cost to the developer, but make housing really affordable. Self-build, houses for older people, houses for younger people, houses for communities that want to come together, do community-led housing, and make good, affordable housing at well below market rents, at council house rents for people for the future. And, yes, and protect them within community land trusts so they're there for the future and they can't be sold. This is what Councillor Dean is looking at through the working group he's looking at. So, you know, please, please do follow that. Um, many of the questions raised here today by residents and by councillors will be answered by the inspector. And we must remember, and the, the Chief Executive didn't mention it in her timeline, we must remember that no plan survives contact with the inspector. No plan in recent times has gone through without major modifications from the inspector. The inspector can take out sites, put in sites, increase numbers, decrease numbers. We may be talking carver barracks or Chelmer Mead, or he may decide to use West of Braintree or North Uttlesford Garden Community. But the people who have come to speak tonight, councillors who have spoken tonight, they will all come and put their point to the inspector. And the inspector will look at what they see, read what they read, hear what they hear, and the inspector will come to his conclusions. Do not expect this to be the final plan. If it was the final plan, it would be perfect, and we all know that it's not perfect. But I really do believe that we do have to move forward. We all do have responsibility to our own wards, to the people who elected us. As a council councillor for Great Dunmo, I look at Great Dunmo. Somebody said earlier, 2,800 houses with planning permission in Dunmo, unbuilt. I already have the largest and the fastest growing division in Essex. I have over 21,000 electors in my division. You know, it is a challenge, but we do want to build communities for the future, and I do believe that this plan is a way forward. So I would like to move the recommendations, Chairman. Right, thank you. So um, we will go to the vote. It will be a recorded vote. Um, the recommendations 1 to 7 are in the supplementary pack on pages 3 and 4, which you all have. So we'll go to the vote. So, uh, same drill as before, I'll go ask each member to indicate whether they're voting for the Cabinet recommendations, against the Cabinet recommendations, or abstaining. Again, if you could switch on your microphone to say how you're voting, and then switch it off again, um, everybody will be able to hear what's going on. So, um, so it's for, against, or abstain on the Cabinet recommendations. Are we clear? In which case, Councillor Andrum. Against. Councillor Artis. For accepting the recommendations. Councillor Asker. Against. Councillor G. Barker. For. Councillor S. Barker. For. Councillor Chambers. Against. Councillor Davy. For. Councillor Davies. For. Councillor Dean. For. Councillor Fairhurst. Against. Councillor Farthing. For. Councillor Felton. For. Councillor Foley. Against. Councillor J. Freeman. For. 
Councillor R. Freeman? Against. Councillor Gerard? Against. Councillor Goddard? For. Councillor Gordon? For. Councillor Hargreaves? Against. Councillor Harris? Councillor Hicks. For. <coughs> Councillor Howell has sent his apologies to the meeting. Councillor Jones. For. Councillor Knight is no longer here. Councillor LeCount. For. For. Councillor Lees. Sorry, against. Councillor Lemon. For. Councillor Light. Against. Councillor Lodge. Against. Councillor Mills. For. Councillor Morris. Against. Councillor Oliver. For. Councillor Ranger. For. Councillor Redfern. Against. Councillor Rolfe. For. Councillor Riles. For. Councillor Sell. For. And Councillor Wells. For. We'll do the adding up. Okay, the motion is carried by 23 votes for and 13 against. Uh, thank you, everybody. It's been a very long evening. Um, good night. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Chairman. Well done.